My name is Herb and I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to our workshop on step four inventory. Before we uh, dive into it, would you uh, yeah. introduce yourself and the retreat center, please? Yeah. So good morning, everyone, or afternoon or evening, wherever you're from. <laughs> so I will be introducing the retreat center. You know, the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center has been holding retreats here for over 50 years. Um, we are thankful to Herb. Thank you, Herb. Um, every, all the proceeds from all of his retreats actually go straight to the retreat center. Um, as you know, COVID, we've had difficult times and every little is appreciated. So if you'd like to donate, you can make a donation at maryjoseph.org. A little bit about Herb. Herb's journey, uh, seven years in flourishing seminary. He's a graduate. Uh, he has a graduate education in psychology, 40 years in human resource consulting. He has a certification as a spiritual director, 36 years of active participation in the 12-step fellowship. And he has publicated three books on spiritual awakening. He also facilitates our bi-weekly practice of centering prayer here at the Marion Joseph Retreat Center. And his late wife was also the director here for many years and was very loved. So everyone, please welcome Herb Kate. Oh, thank you, Marlene, very much. Yeah, the retreat center is about a mile from where we've lived for the last 45 years. So it's uh, been really part of our personal life. Well, as I mentioned, uh, I'm an alcoholic uh, and I'm in a 12-step fellowship. <clears throat> I'm uh, very honored and pleased to be able to share my understanding and my experience with the fourth step. I would invite you to join me in the serenity prayer, just so we get started uh, with a little bit of connection to a power greater than ourselves by your understanding, whatever that means. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Step four is intimidating to many people. Confusing to a lot of people. Unavailable to most people. Step four, inventory out of the big book. I'm a big book fundamentalist and literalist in the best of senses. I read the big book as a textbook. I attempt to interpret what it says and do what it says, what it suggests, because it promises a spiritual awakening. It promises freedom. Let that sink in for a minute. The big book is not about alcohol. The 12 steps are not about an addiction. Breathe in, <laughs> if that sounds heretical. Oh, now the precipitating reason, historically, for the 12-step development and the fellowship and the textbook that came out of it was around alcoholism and addiction and Bill had the prophetic insight when he wrote it. I'm confident he knew what he was saying when he wrote it. 
in the preface to the first publication, 1939 April, the preface in the first paragraph of that preface, in the last sentence of that first paragraph, he says, our way of living may have its advantages for all. He wrote the big book for alcoholics based on his experience, but he also had an intuition. This methodology of the 12 steps may have a benefit for all human beings. And I, I use the term prophetic because that's how it is turned out, hasn't it? Not only is it the most popular and the most effective methodology for dealing with alcoholism worldwide, currently. It's been adopted and adapted by other people with other addictions, not the least of which in 1951 was the Al-Anon, the person who is addicted to the addict, and then proliferated from there to all of the other substance and process addictions. That's a professional term I've learned recently in the last five or 10 years. <clears throat> substance addiction, alcohol, drugs, and food. Process addiction, gambling, relationships, sex, pornography, work, exercise, and addiction repetitive behavior over which I have no control, which produces negative results. It's my definition. It's, it's informal. It's not scientific. It's just based on my knowledge, my understanding, my experience. Bill uses the term bondage. Clearly in step one, bondage of addiction is the first half of the first step. Broadening it just from alcohol, please. Everybody on this, in this workshop right now today and anybody who's watching it later on because it is recorded is welcome. If you have an addiction, the 12-step process will treat that. It's the first half of the first step. Admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Admitted we were powerless over our addiction. We need to identify what that addiction is. Dr. Silkworth says it's a problem of the body and it's a problem of the mind. He doesn't spend much time on the mind. He spends all the time on the body. And then Bill picks it up and spends some time on the mind and talks about obsession and delusion. That's, that's the last time we hear about alcohol. That's the last time we hear about addiction in terms of recovery. Dash that our life had become unmanageable the best kept secret in the rooms of the 12-step fellowships, all of them. Unmanageability, what does it mean? What does it look like? What are the behaviors? And what is the exact nature of it? And what is the treatment for it? Bill says it's the most important part in step 10. Pages 83 and 84 in the big book, he says, we're placed in a position of neutrality with regard to our addiction. I'm paraphrasing. Not, not the words placed in neutrality. That's in the big book. I'm broadening it, though, as a big, big, big comprehensive net over all addictions. At the end of ninth step, not halfway through. Halfway through, you might realize it. But it says, at the end of ninth step, as you enter the world of the spirit, 
as you enter into step 10 instructions in the big book, we're placed in a position of neutrality. Whoa, take a breath. He says, we're not cured. It's not cured of our addiction. That's not what he's referring to, I believe, my interpretation. We're not cured of our unmanageability, our spiritual malady, our cancer of the soul. And we have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. That's why I believe he uses the word inventory and gives us a methodology three different times in the big book. We're going to look at the first one today. We're only going to look at the one part of it, actually. Next month, we'll look at the final part. Step four is the mother of all inventories, of course. Some people do it once in a lifetime. Some people do it on a regular basis, maybe even annually. I don't. I did it initially in 1984 by direction of my sponsor, which was an autobiography, because he didn't know that he didn't know. And I certainly, because I was new, didn't know that he didn't know anything about the big book or the real step process. I read the big book, I read the 12 and 12, I couldn't figure out how to do a four step. No, I literally, I'm fairly educated and fairly well, uh, fairly intelligent. And um, I, I couldn't figure it out. So he said, write an autobiography Herb. write your story, try to get into some of your motives and some of the impact on other people. And I did that. It was good enough for me to stay around. It wasn't good enough for me to change. Bill calls this process and this problem and uh, a bondage, a bondage of the addiction, of course, and the freedom that is promised by the time we get to step 10, placed in a position of neutrality. But the real problem is the bondage of self. This is the unmanageability. This is the spiritual malady. I did this autobiography in my first year, 1984 good enough for me to stay around, but not good enough for me to change. But I didn't know that change was necessary. I didn't know that change was possible. I certainly didn't know the method of change. And I hung around going to a meeting every day, talking to a sponsor every day, thinking that I had finished the steps in my first year because I did finish the ninth step. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was a very sorry ninth step by today's standards but it was good enough for me to stay around. It wasn't good enough for me to change. And the reason I'm doing this workshop is I suffered from lack of knowledge, that's all. I was willing to take action if I had been given more informed action and action based on experience of the big book, it would have been sooner, earlier, different. I can't go there because it isn't and it wasn't. 1988, I met a man who became my teacher for a year, taking me through the steps. I had a powerful experience with step four. The, for the very first time, I woke up. It was with column four of the resentment inventory. And if you're not familiar with that vocabulary, I, I'll make you familiar with it later on. 
Columns one, two, and three, I blew by. They had no impact on me. Column four changed my life. For the very first time, I took responsibility for my life, for my feelings, for my thoughts, and most especially for my actions. For the very first time, 48 years old, I grew up. I became a man fully responsible for my behavior for the very first time. I had 85 resentments. I remember the number. Three years passed and I was practicing 10, 11, and 12 for the very first time understanding them and what I was doing with them. And I was changing. I was becoming a much more of a human being. My metaphor is a dimmer switch. The lights were going up a notch at a time, a day at a time. For those three years, and in 1991, I met another man whose attraction in me was like a magnetic needle pointing north, as I had with the first teacher in 1988. And I'm using that term very advisedly. They never became my sponsor. These were men who understood the big book, who were mechanics with the step process, each of them with different experiences and with slightly different instructions. And in 1991, this man unpacked the third column. For the very first time, I was able to see the delusions that were my beliefs for the very first time. In contrast to 1988, where I saw my motives for the very first time, the corruptness of my motives, the self-centeredness of my motives. I began to see in the third column, the lie that I thought was the truth for the very first time. And it changed my life again. But in addition to that, I told you I had 85 resentments. And when I did the steps in 1991, the second time with this second man, I had 85 resentments, the same ones. And this man gave me the instructions from the big book, which I hadn't seen. Maybe the first guy had given it to me, but I hadn't heard it or seen it or experienced it. But this time I was able to, for some reason, to see it, to experience it. A prayer practice in the big book, pages 66 and 67. We'll go over it. for the removal of deep resentment. Now here's the miracle of it. And I'm giving you kind of a thumbnail sketch of a context of my knowledge and my experience so that you can have a roadmap for what we're gonna to do today. Three years later, again, in my meditation, I was led to another man to take me through the steps for a different reason. And he had a different approach and I went through step one very differently with uh, a, a knowledge of and an experience with unmanageability for the very first time, hence my comment in my opening remarks. He also gave me a set aside prayer and an attitude about that, which I'll talk about in a minute. He also helped me see my own agnosticism in steps two and three. I mean, I'm 10 years sober. I've had two 
prior spiritual awakenings. And I studied to be a Catholic priest for seven years in a monastery, seven years of silence. You would think I would know something about and have some kind of a practical application of that knowledge with regard to God and spirit. But I, I didn't. But I didn't know that I didn't know that I was an agnostic until he asked me those curtain-rending questions. What do you believe? I wrote out a nice treatise. I read it to him and he sent me home with a new question that opened the curtain. How do you behave in light of what you believe you believe? And I began to have a new experience with steps two and three. I realized at that point, I had an experience at that point in the core of my being that my concept of God up to that point was the very impediment to my relationship with the spirit. Life-changing, life-changing. My concept up to that point, 10 years sober, two spiritual awakenings, so it didn't prevent me from making progress. My concept was the impediment to my relationship. And he gave me some additional instructions with regard to step four. And now I can give you an amalgam, sort of a merging of all these three journeys through the steps, through the fourth step. Today we'll look at resentment. It's the major part of the step four inventory. And next month, we'll look at fear and dishonesty and secrets and our unhealthy sexual behavior, which is all addressed in the big book in very succinct terms and the most effective that I've ever come across. The bondage of self, unmanageability is really the problem. Let's see if I can get this working again. <laughs> there we go. And so step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. The step 10 inventory, which is that spot check inventory we do on a daily basis whenever we're disturbed, there's something wrong with us. We might do step 10 more than once during the day. As many times as we're disturbed, it means that we're out of alignment. That's my term for the third step. That's the turning that I understand <clears throat> or the terms that I use for my understanding and experience of the third step. Made a decision to turn from what to what? From my self-centeredness, unmanageability, my self will run riot, to other-centeredness in steps 11 and 12, other with a capital O and other with a small O. Steps 11 and 12, a relationship with the power other than myself and a contribution to the people around me. A formula for happiness, a formula for contentment, a formula for joy, a formula of living as authentic human beings. Bill was brilliant in his structure. Step four is the periodic or once a lifetime major deconstruction of the false self 
I use a little bit of psychology terms. Bill doesn't use it, although he did say that the inventory process was for the deflation of the ego. Then step 10, as we're living our lives uh, in our waking moments, Bill says, <clears throat> when they crop up resentment and fear and dishonesty and selfishness in step 10. Pages 84 and 85, I believe. When they crop up, not if they crop up. We apply the spot check inventory. <clears throat> we pray. We talk to somebody. We make an amend if we've hurt anybody. And we turn our thoughts to helping somebody else. It's a fabulous formula for staying in alignment and staying in serenity. And then, of course, he says, when we retire at night, in step 11, there's another inventory. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> there's another inventory at night. We, it's a more positive inventory. Take a look at it. Page 85 and 86 in the big book. There's a list of questions. Some of them about how we failed. Some of them about how we want to succeed the liabilities and the assets. Inventory is critically important. Step 10 is about a personal inventory. Step four is about a moral inventory, not in contrast to immoral, but moral, in, at least in my dictionary, says values. What are my values? And he says in the material, in the big book, <clears throat> warming us up to the uh, inventory process on page 64 that we're looking for the exact nature of the problems. It's not a, step four is not intended to be a, a description of behavior, a rewriting of our story, of our drama, of the impact of our story. <clears throat> all, all of that will be included. It's a very analytical process as I understand it from the big book and as I've experienced it. Looking at my behavior to get underneath my behavior. This third man who took me through the steps introduced me to a, a, a saying from Einstein, the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. Brilliant. I've not read Einstein, but I like that quote. It says, my mind cannot fix my mind because my mind's the problem. And any solution that my broken mind comes up with will have a defect in it inherently. So I need a new consciousness. And he said to me, you have a lot of information, Herb, and you have a lot of knowledge and you've had a lot of experience. And to the extent that you hold on to this information and this experience, you're prevented from any other information and experience. You have a lot of information but you need more transformation. You have a lot of information and you've had some spiritual awakenings. To the extent that you hold on to them, you're prevented from having any new information or any more transformation. Can you let it go, your information and your experience? And I said, yeah, I'm not sure I can on my own power. I'd had enough exposure to the process as a powerlessness process and a acquisition of power process. And he said, great. So why don't you 
create a prayer and he suggested one and this is the prayer a set aside prayer now notice it's an invitation to the spirit to enter our hearts our souls the core of our very being and spirit with a crowbar to open up our mind and to open up our souls and to open up our hearts it's not a prayer for me to set aside that was my original prayer because i misunderstood it then i saw after about three years that that was then a function of the ego i'm still trying to maintain control god please help me set aside oh really how about direct intervention maybe you would be willing to join me in the spirit of this having an open mind and an open heart you're all on mute i suggest that you pray it out loud you can do that or pray it quietly or not pray at all, but at least commit to during this time that we're together, an open mind and an open heart to the best of your ability. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path and you an open mind and a new experience with myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path, and especially you. I pray that prayer every morning as the beginning of my step 11 meditation practice, asking for intervention, sometimes during the day, not that formal prayer. I've never had whatever success in memorizing it as many times as I pray it during the week or during the day. But I have a, a, a shortened version of that. Holy Spirit, release me from up till now. Detach me from after now and allow me to be fully present in the now. I refer to the power other than myself currently as spirit with a capital S. Holy Spirit, release me from up till now, my history, right to this moment. Detach me from after now, after this very moment. And allow me to be fully present in the present moment. It's just a simple way of my attempting to live in the present moment. Bill uses the term uh, after the third step that we're building a spiritual arch through which we walk to a new freedom. In step two on page 47, he talked about a cornerstone, obviously implying and assuming step one as the foundation. And in step three, he refers to step three as the keystone. A decision to turn that, are, that stone at the, the pinnacle of the arch that holds the entire arch together. And then the next time he mentions it is step five. Let me just get my orders here. 
is step five when he says, now we've walked, on page 75, now we've walked through the arch to a new freedom. But he doesn't tell us anything about how the building blocks were. So I'm assuming again, by implication, that the resentment inventory is a building block, that the fear inventory is a building block, that the sex inventory is a building block. Those are the three major categories that Bill uses in the big book. I've added the words dishonesty and secrets to kind of flesh out at least my uh, knowledge and my experience with completing the fourth step. And my experience is the promise of freedom, walking through the spiritual arch to a new freedom. So please, again, join me in prayer. Bill says, this is the beginning. I call it the prayer of consent. I've upgraded it to current language. I've eliminated the these and the thou's. You're welcome to keep them. Words are not prayers. Words are the expression of an intention. Intention is the prayer. Intention is the prayer for a relationship. Intention is the reaching out to begin the uh, relationship of friendship with whatever it is you believe is a power other than yourself. And that's the silver bullet of the 12-step methodology, isn't it? We have no dogma. We have no theology. We have some actions that we take, a methodology that we've incorporated, and the blessing of steps two and three is you choose. Step two is about a decision. Read page 53. Bill isn't as clear as I am being right now on, this, on the face of it, but he's that clear if you think about what he says on page 53. God is or God isn't, what is your choice? We're confronted with the question of faith. God is or God isn't, what is your choice? Step two is a choice. Step two is a decision. Now it's formally expressed in step three, a decision to turn, as I've mentioned earlier in my comments, to turn from my self-centeredness to other-centeredness, not in the sense of codependency, but in the sense of humility, coming from the Latin humus, meaning earth or dirt or common as not unique. I need a relationship with power as a human being. I need a relationship with people as a human being. I need to be empowered by the power with a capital P and I need to be a conduit of that power to other people so that they can in fact be empowered. The spirit of steps 10, 11 and 12. Please join me in this prayer of consent. Bill calls it a beginning. A beginning of what? A beginning of transformation. A beginning of waking up. We're asleep dreaming that we're awake. Great phrase. Not mine. It came from Gurdjieff, a Russian philosopher. He said, "All hum 19th century, all humans are asleep dreaming that they're awake. This is a process of waking up. 
Bill captured it in his comments in his own autobiography on page 14. Simple but not easy, a price has to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. We must turn, I'm continuing the quote. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. I love the image, the sunlight of the spirit. This is the spirit of steps two and three. The sunlight is in us, but the spirit of steps four through nine is that we have clouds in us that block us from the sunlight that is in us. We have the light deep inside ourselves. That's what he says on page 55 in answer to the questions on page 45. Where and how are we going to find this power? Deep down inside of us, and that's only where we're going to find it when we have the proper attitude. Think honestly, search diligently, search fearlessly. Read page 55. Fabulous. Pure, simple, direct, clear instructions. Once they were pointed out to me by somebody else, they were never clear to me on my own. And they were never clear the first time. As I mentioned, it took 10 years of sobriety and three different trips through the steps over a 12-year period. Please, again, if you care to join me out loud, praying the prayer from the big book, page 63. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you wish. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of your power, your love, and your way of life. May I do your will always. Step three, look at me. Step three is the turning from my self-will going cross-purposes with reality as it is, my turning to be in alignment with reality as it is. I turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Please hear step three. It doesn't say we turn our will and our life over to God. That's not a subtle distinction. That's not a play on words. That's a dramatic concept. Turn our will and our life over to the care of God. And that's why I use the term alignment. And in step 10, when I'm disturbed, I'm out of alignment. So I use step 10 to get back in alignment. My concepts, my explanations, my words, maybe they will help you. A searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, as I've understood it now and experienced it, column three reveals my beliefs, the lenses through which I look. Column four believes my motives, those values that move me forward in terms of my behavior. I love the image. As you can see, I love images and metaphors and pictures because it helps me understand the words in the big book. And I believe it helps me communicate my understanding of those words. Ego deflation at depth. 
We have a biology that is our genetics. We have a family culture. We have emotions from our reactions to reality. We have lots of education, but we need to get down to who we are. Who are we? Notice that these are the Russian dolls. You see them called some, sometimes called nesting dolls. The Russians themselves, I had a person who was from Russia come up to me after one of these presentations and tell me they call it matrushka meaning mother. Each doll is the same as the prior doll. The image is identical. These are our false selves. These are the barriers. These are the masks that we wear. This is their persona that we have created as survival instincts over decades. And we don't know that we don't know that we have a Hollywood storefront that we present to society and others and it's not our true self. And we look through and we act as if it were, and we suffer and they suffer. We need to peel, peel it back, looking at behavior and getting underneath that behavior to the exact nature. We need to identify and analyze according to the big book. Bill starts out on page 64. The body is a problem, the mind is a problem, but the will is the real problem. And we take care of the will, the mind and the body take care of themselves. Let me just read it because he has a wonderful way with her. And she's referring to resentment. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. That spiritual malady though bedevilments on page 52 that are a behavioral description of unmanageability. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, the first two components of the first half of the first step. We have been spiritually sick, that second component, that second half of the first step, unmanageability. Listen to it. When the spiritual malady is overcome, unmanageability, we straighten out mentally and physically. We're placed in a position of neutrality, Bill says in step 10, but we have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must have our vision of God's will for us. Read page 85. It's a dense paragraph just before the 11th step. It's a very dense paragraph. It needs to be really unpacked. What does it mean, vision of God's will? It's not God's vision. It's an introduction to meditation so that I can have my vision of God's will for me and then the power to do it. The big book has internal, wonderful internal integrity. What it says in one place, it says in another place. And every one of the steps is built on who we are as human beings. What makes us specifically human is that we have a, a mind to know one component and that we have a free will to decide and to take actions the other component at some point you might want to take a look at the steps and see how you can relate what i'm about to say to that all of the even steps are knowing steps all of the odd steps are deciding and action steps it's pretty interesting it's helped me understand the dynamic of the methodology. 
to identify and analyze. Self-centeredness is the root, he says on page 62. Self-centeredness is the root. Resentment is the fruit of the root. If I had a tree here and it had orange balls on it, I would ask you without any other information, other than you're seeing the tree with the orange balls, what kind of tree is it? And you would all uniformly not even hesitate. You say, it's an orange tree. How do you know it's an orange tree? Well, because of the fruit. Uh, so we look at the fruit resentment in order to get to the root self-centeredness. An additional root of, excuse me, a fruit of the self-centeredness is fear. And then sex, as Bill um, describes it in the big book. And I see that a completion of step four from my experience includes dishonesty and secrets. Guilt and shame are not even implied in the big book. Dishonesty and secrets are either said or implied. But in those days, there wasn't psychological sophistication enough for Bill to have included those words. What's the difference, guilt and shame? At least from, my, I'm a lay person. I don't have any degrees or any certifications or any specific training professionally. I have lots of information from my journey. My definition of guilt is a negative feeling about my behavior. My negative, if I'm a bank robber, all right, I feel badly because I'm robbing banks. Uh, my behavior. Now there's healthy guilt and there's unhealthy guilt and we're normally talking about unhealthy guilt. But what is shame? Shame is a negative feeling about who I am. In contrast to my behavior, it focuses on who I am as a person. Shame. It's a feeling. Bill wonderfully describes it with more advanced understanding of human nature and his own journey in 1951 published the 12 and 12. In step four inventory in the 12 and 12, he has a wonderful commentary, very little instruction in the 12 and 12. I hear people talk about doing the steps out of the 12 and 12 and I wonder what the hell they did. Very few instructions, some wonderful commentary, a little instruction in six and seven, a little instruction in step 11, but not much instruction in any of the steps of any depth, not like the big book. But in the 12 and 12 in step four, he calls it instincts gone awry. And I looked at that phrase and in, in my understanding of it, <clears throat> I related it to the training that I had had, the exposure that I had in biology, survival instincts of fight, flight, and freeze. Survival instincts at the body level, at the brainstem level, at the survival level, fight, flight. If you can't fight it, then you run from it and freeze, camouflage, hiding, like a chameleon turning green or yellow or red to fit into the foliage so it's not eaten by the predators. It gave me a whole new insight into the step four inventory because fight 
translates into the emotion. I go from the brainstem to the limbic system, from the first brain to the second brain. The fight instinct leads to the anger emotion. The flight instinct leads to the fear emotion. The freeze instinct leads to the shame emotion, the hiding, the dishonesty. And then how does that translate into human behavior? Fight turns into anger, turns into resentment. Flight turns into fear, turns into fear and anxiety. Freeze turns into dishonesty, shame, turns into dishonesty and secrets as a behavior, turns into certainly dysfunctional sexual behavior, at least in terms of my inventory. That's where I saw dishonesty play out its biggest hand. So I come from these models to help me understand human nature, mine and yours. Bill uses another model in step four in the inventory in the uh, 12 and 12. He uses the seven capital sins. 1951, Bill was in tutelage, spiritual direction from Father Ed Dowling. Father Ed Dowling was a Jesuit priest he met in 1940. After the big book was published, Father Dowling got a hold of it and said, this is a phenomenal spiritual textbook for conversion and spiritual awakening, a change that's done to people, a change in the way they think and feel and behave and is done to them, not by them. Read Appendix 2 in the back of the book. Bill unpacks what spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are and how they're different. One is a dimmer switch, spiritual, uh, spiritual awakening. The other is a light switch, spiritual experience. He had the light switch about, uh, uh, variety, that mountaintop experience that he describes on page 14 in the big book of his own story. Most of us, he said, have a spiritual awakening. He put that appendix two in the book when he changed step 12 from spiritual experience to spiritual awakening in the second printing of the first edition. These the historical things really reveal Bill's progressive understanding of the experiences that he was having. Father Ed Dowling, as a Catholic priest, was a Jesuit, a religious order. I call them the Green Berets of Catholic theology, actually. They've created all of the schools, like the Loyolas in the world. They're academic-oriented. And he gave Bill an awful lot of instruction about theology, a part of which was an introduction to the seven capital sins, which Bill describes in chapter four, step four of the 12 and 12. I don't use it. A lot of people do, and they find it very helpful. I'm merely bringing it to your attention. I'm not suggesting it. I'm just bringing it to your attention as a model that Bill uses in the 12 and 12 written in 1951. 
So let's take a look at resentments because that's really the topic for today. You've had a, now a context. I hope that's helped understand where we are and why we are here to take a look at the exact nature of our anger. Resentment comes from the Latin sentire, to feel. And when you put an RE in front of it, it means to feel it again and again and again. You may have resentments from yesterday. You may have resentments from last year. I do workshops and have for the last 25 years for groups of people. And it's not unusual for people to have resentments for their mother and father, even though they've been dead for years and or decades. Something that happened 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, people are still holding as a hot coal in their soul. Now, unfortunately, resentments lead to physical problems. The science is in heart attacks and strokes and cancer and depression. To psychological problems, emotional problems. And certainly, as Bill talks about, spiritual problems. Darkness, clouds, impediments, obstacles to the sunlight of the spirit. So he asks us to list them. So just name one resentment that you have today. Not a memory of a resentment that you've treated. Not a memory of a resentment that you've actually eliminated. But a current resentment that you currently hold. Now, it may not be gross as it was when you first came in the program. Bill talks on page 71 of dealing with our grosser handicaps. He probably should have put that word up earlier so that we're not dealing with mosquitoes. We're dealing with white sharks, three-ton white sharks in the inventory, at least at first. As we progress and the lights get brighter and the darkness diminishes, we'll deal with the mosquitoes. So make, just, just make uh, 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 on a piece of paper, I'm very, it's very important for you to be involved manually with what we're doing today. Note one or two deep resentments, deep resentments. Oh, why are you angry? Now, that's what Bill's asked us. Column one is making the list. Column two is why are you angry? Page 64. And there may be multiple reasons. I had an anger toward Bob in 1988, doing this work for the very first time four years sober. He was a co-worker. He was trying to get me fired. That was my only anger toward him. He was trying to get me fired. I'd been there 20 years and he was trying to have the company throw me out. But I also had anger toward my father, despite the fact of doing therapy around that, <clears throat> doing prior inventories around that in an autobiographical sense, doing a lot of writing because I had a lot of therapy. Doing all kinds of human development work to deal with that resentment, rage resentment, not just resentment, rage resentment, volcanic hot. despite the fact he was dead 12 years at that point, 1988. 
didn't matter that he was dead. I still had this resentment. Didn't matter I was four years sober and had had several years of training in therapy as well as a, a dealing in therapy, myself personally. Column three is about beliefs, but I didn't have an experience with that in 1988. I had that three years later, as I mentioned in my opening comments, but it's about beliefs, the lenses through which I look. If the lenses are distorted, reality will be distorted and I won't know it's distorted because it's the lenses through which I'm looking. Column three is I'm gonna take you through it in a minute, allows us to look at the lens to see that it's distorted and how it's distorted so that we can in fact grind it to be refined so that we can see reality clearly close, more closely as it is, not as we are. I hope you're hearing this. Most of us project who we are onto reality. We don't know that we're doing that. It's literally an unhealthy coping strategy. That's the technical terms in psychology. An unhealthy coping strategy, projection, repression, suppression, denial. There's about nine different unhealthy coping strategies. Projection is one of them. We don't know that we're doing it. We see in others what we don't want to see in ourselves. One of the local groups has a saying about that. You spot it, you got it. Now, it's not always true, but <laughs> more often than not, it is. If you're thinking about it, if you're feeling it, if you're reacting, if you're talking about somebody else's problems, you might want to take a look at, do I have that? Is that my emotional reaction? Is that my emotional dysfunction? Because I'm seeing it every place. Sometimes psychology calls that selective attention. And then the fourth column is about my motives and responsibility. What motivates me? coming from the Latin movere, to move. What moves me? So column three is described on page 65 in the big book. And um, it's only given a bunch of words. There are no directions. There are no definitions. There's no application. It says, in most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbook, our ambition, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt and threatened. Those are the verbs, hurt and threatened. So we were sore, a synonym for resentment. We were burned up, a synonym for resentment. Bill really wants us to get this thing. Resentment, that anger. It's so important that he repeats it. Bill's hardly ever redundant in being challenged in a conversation that was recorded about six and seven about the difference between defects of character and shortcomings, Bill just laughed. He said, oh, I was taught in basic English that I don't use the same word in consecutive sentences. So those are synonyms. There's no difference between shortcoming and character defect. 
Well, that sure ended a lot of arguments and conversation in my books anyway. So why is he redundant here? There's only two or three places in the big book, the first 164 pages, that Bill is redundant. I believe it's because he's really making a crucial point. So this next paragraph is uh, similar to, not identical, but similar to, it could almost be a synonym for the prior paragraph. On our grudge list, anger, resentment, we said opposite each name, our injuries, column two. Why do we, why are we angry? Was it our self-esteem, security, ambition, personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? New words and a new verb. The prior verbs were hurt or threatened. The verb here is interfered with. And then he gives us a list. He doesn't call it the third column, but it's, there are three columns on page 65. So I call them column one, column two, column three. It's arbitrary. But he just gives us a list of those words. And next to some of them, he lists fear. And it's pretty consistent with self-esteem until he gets down to the last one and he gives us a new word that's not in either of those paragraphs, pride. He doesn't tell us what he means by that. I personally believe it. it's not the pride of the seven capital sins. I'll show you that in a minute. And he puts fear next to security rather than self-esteem. No explanation. So I think I have a responsibility to figure out well, what does he mean by all those terms and what does he mean in terms of the application of those terms and how should I approach this column three? My first journey in 1988, it was like a checkbox system, at least the way I heard it from the man who led me through the steps. Connect those words in column three with columns one and two, which I did. And any checkbox effort I've ever made never had any experiential results. I had no experience with it, meaning nothing happened. Oh, I did it, but I, because I did, I was willing to take suggestions and do the actions. I think that's the key to my recovery, right from the beginning, a story for a different day. So this man who took me through the work the second time and you may have received the column three worksheet. And um, if you haven't, then just follow it as best you can. Um, I have a way of life document in my website that has this uh, column three on page 23 and um, make notes so that you can take a look at that. I have a, a second book on the steps, 12 chapters, one on each step. And of course, chapter four would be on inventory. So it will describe all of these, both in terms of the matrix as well as the definitions. Self-esteem from the worksheet is not about psychological self-esteem, at least as the man presented it to me. He said, it's about who do you believe that you are? Not who do you think, who do you want, what do you feel? None of those words. It's who do you believe that you are? Who am I? Pride, he gave it a really interesting twist. He said, put yourself on a stage with the person with whom you have the resentment. 
you're standing in front of Bob. That's the case I'm going to use here. And he's wanting to get you fired. And in the audience are your co-workers. How do you want the co-workers to see Bob treating you? That's how he approached pride. How I want other people to see this person treating me. And the rest of the questions are about the various aspects of reality, about life itself. And the key word here to surface what you believe is should. When you think or feel or say should, I should, they should, the world should, life should, you are revealing to yourself a belief. And you can hold it up and look at it. And you can ask, is that balanced? Is that healthy? Is that objective? Is that true? And it may be. When I did this the first time, seven years sober, and I held up my beliefs, I was overwhelmed and embarrassed by the delusion that permeated all of my beliefs. Let's do an example here. And, and I'm going to have you, hopefully, if you have the worksheet in front of you, fill it out the way you'd like to. Uh, in response to my examples with my resentment, you fill it out with your examples from your resentment. And we'll talk about it at the end of uh, when we take a little break in about 15 or 20 minutes. This man said, pray at the top so that you're addressing power other than yourself because you can't go into this effectively on your own power. God help me, please, please see the truth. It's spontaneous, it changes each time, there's no formal prayer. When I resent Bob for trying to get me fired, did it hurt, threaten, or interfere with my self-esteem? What is my deep belief about who I am? On the stage with Bob, I am a superior employee. In fact, I'm a superior human being. I'm uh, the best employee in the sales department that the company has. In fact, my knowledge, I'm the best salesman in Los Angeles. The company is glad, should be glad to have me. No, no, I was not exaggerating. Now this man had me push it in order to see what the outer bounds of my self-esteem were, not the self-esteem of psychology, low self-esteem, high self-esteem, but what is my belief about who I am, my true belief getting underneath even common sense. I was being considered for a promotion to run the office. I was one of three people in LA. It was a legitimate promotion. It was something I had worked for 20 years to have. It was the target of my corporate ambition. What is my fear? I put fear next to every one of the seven variables because this man asked me to do that. And it also revealed a nuance that I hadn't had before. A crack in the door, a crack in the curtain, the, a beginning to have some transparency here. What is my fear when I say what I just said? Well, you know, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Quite frankly, it was the first time I'd ever had that hesitation, that self-awareness, that knowledge, that beginning of doubt. 
Now I'm seven years sober. I have a consistent daily meditation practice. I've done the inventory previously and I've finished my ninth step previously. So I'm being evolved fairly dramatically in my life, in my thinking, in my behavior, in my feelings. And I believe that's what's beginning to open me up to deeper awareness of the truth, as well as a deeper awareness for the very first time of the lie. And I didn't know that I didn't know, and I couldn't see that I didn't see until I could. With more light, you will be able to see better. That's the good news. With more light, you'll be able to see more. And that's the bad news in one sense. And yet, when you're able to see it, you're able to deal with it. And there, the good news is that you'll grow from it. Pride. How do I want other people to see me being treated? I'm on a stage with Bob and in the audience are my coworkers. I want my coworkers to see Bob treating me with respect. And this man said, is that all you want from Bob is respect? No, I want deferment. I want him to walk into a room, see me there, take a deep breath, <gasps> Herb's here, back up three paces and bow. Now, did I actually feel that? Did I, had that ever thought ever occurred to me conscious? No, but I, he said, stretch it. So I, I went to stretch it. And then when I looked at it, I go, yeah, no, that's really what I would like. And he said, you have a little king down inside of you, don't you, Herb? You may have seen the pamphlet from Hazelton, King Baby, built on something I think Freud said, that the neurotic, and we could say the addict, are four-year-olds in a high chair beating the, I want my rice pudding. That's who we are until we're not. And Bill says it in steps six and seven, in the 12 and 12, doesn't he? This is the process six and seven that bring the child to the adult. He uses different words, different genders for appropriate at the time, 1951. But what he's talking about is the rite of passage from immaturity to maturity, from childhood to adulthood, from irresponsible to responsible, a rite of passage. It's not without suffering. It's a gauntlet, steps four through nine. But it's like surgery. The Oxford group called it soul surgery. Many of you have had surgery. Nobody anticipates it in terms of looking forward to it. Everybody anticipates it in terms of after it successful completion and the healing and rehabilitation, the health that will come from that. This is soul surgery. We're inviting the divine healer, the divine surgeon to come and remove the cancer in us, this cancer of resentment, this cancer that if not treated metastasizes and squeezes out the spiritual life and eventually squeezes out the physical and emotional life. No, I'm not being dramatic. I think it's being actually fairly scientific and accurate. What's my fear? They will see Bob disrespecting me and also disrespect me or just plain to ignore me. Ambition, much more straightforward. 
when we get self-esteem and pride clear, and they should be like flip sides of the same coin, and that's the test, the litmus test of their accuracy. I see myself as unique, uh, entitled, special, grand, the best. I want other people to see Bob treating me that way. There, I, I tested it out. Sometimes if I have trouble with self-esteem, I'll backdoor it by going to the pride first because it's easier for me to see how I want other people to see Bob treating me and then when I see that, I go, oh, well, that's how I believe I deserve to be treated. That's my belief about who I am. And the lie that I thought was the truth is revealed for the very first time. The lenses through which I'm looking are distorted. Looking at myself. Ambition, what do I want? I wanted to run the office. My fear is I won't get the job. Very straightforward. Security. What do I need and why? I need to have the promotion because I don't want a local boss looking over my shoulder to see who I really am and how I'm really behaving. Personal relations. What's my belief about the workplace? Everybody should expect, uh, respect and, uh, and, uh, and, and support my ambitions and my activities because I'm the center of the effort of success in the office. What's my fear is nobody will support me. When we came to the sex relations, this man said to me, I don't believe it's about genital sex, Herb. Bill has the third component in the step four inventory, resentment, fear, and sex as a genital sex. This, that's a, a review of our sexual history and our sexual behavior and our just sexual distortions in order to get to, in fact, our sexual principles for guidelines. He said, I don't believe that this question is about that. Why don't you try using gender, male, female? What's your belief about males in the workplace? What's your belief about females in the workplace? That worked for me. It's an interpretation. It's not in the big book. None of these definitions or directions are in the big book. This is the direction that I was given by this man who helped me see the truth of the lie that I had believed seven years sober, having had one spiritual awakening already. I mean, I was awake. I had been changed with column four of the resentment inventory three years earlier. I'm emphasizing that to emphasize the progression of this. In the same way, the disease is progressive in terms of deterioration, disintegration. The recovery is progressive in terms of integration, a restoration. So let's try gender, a real man, a model man in the business community is shoulders back, joining arm in arm with other men to solve problems and conquer for the success of the company and the individuals and the community. What's my fear? They're really like me, cutthroat, self-serving, cut you off at the knees, will we'll betray you at every moment. And again, 
that fear gave me the insight into my own corrupt motives and operating behaviors. I wasn't there for the stockholders or for the staff or for the benefit of the clients. I was there to get as much power and prestige and money as possible for myself. And if somebody got hurt, they, that was collateral damage and that's just the corporate world. No, that was my, I was so Genghis Khan. And I, and I thought I was a Renaissance man. This work blew up that delusion that I'm a Renaissance man and replaced it with the truth that I'm a Neanderthal. I, and I'm using very strong language to make the point, very black and white. But at the same time, I was beginning in therapy, working with a therapist who was helping me see my own narcissism. Look it up. It's a DSM. That's the Diagnostic Manual for Psychiatrists and Psychologists. There's nine characteristics. My therapist gave them to me and he said, the only thing missing in the DSM is your picture. Hmm. And I paid good money for that information. So what about women in the workplace? And I apologize always when I come to this, to the women in the group. But in 1991, my attitude was women were subordinate in the office, second-class citizens, that they were there to serve men as administrators and make our life comfortable and to do the work that we didn't want to do. Most of all, to make us look good. And my fear was that they will disrespect me, that they will publicly humiliate me. I had an incredible fear of smart, tall men, strong men, and really attractive, smart women. And I didn't know that. Of course, that created all kinds of relationship problems in the workplace. Seeing this work has, of course, rehabilitated me. I believe. Pocketbook. Straightforward. Is it about money? This was about money, but it was also about power and prestige. What is the affected value? Nothing should interfere with or affect or get in the way of or lessen my opportunity to have as much power and prestige and money and success as I can. Nobody or nothing should get in my way. I really did believe that, actually. And my fear is everything's conspiring against me. I hope that's helpful to you. It changed my life. Again, three years earlier, the column four, it was out of order, but it's just my history, my experience changed my life for the very first time. I came into AA free of alcohol. I didn't come to AA to get free of alcohol. I was given the gift of freedom from alcohol two months earlier, a story for a different day. My wife was in the hospital and they asked me to stop drinking to support her, which I did in February of 1984. And in April or May, I'm, I'm in AA because I think I have a drinking problem and the, re the rest is history. I did this work in 1988 when I met a man who understood the big book and who presented it in a way that I could hear that my needle pointed north. 
that led me to the fourth column of the resentment inventory for the very first time, a, a complete change in the way I thought about myself and the way I acted using my behavior as a measurement of my motives and intention for the very first time being conscious of that. And then three years later, doing this work with column three. More about that uh, in, a, in a little bit. So I'm gonna stop here and pause and see if there's any questions or concerns or if anybody would like to do a little work with the especially self-esteem and or pride one of my best friends um is married no no i don't want context i want you to re read what you wrote um, right. you'll find me i'm very direct i want to get right to the point because we've got lots okay. of people to talk to okay so i resent mary for having two men who love her. Yeah. And I don't have any. Yes, yes, absolutely. And who are you? Self-esteem. What did you write? I am damaged goods. No, it's never negative. Oh, so I didn't mention it's that psychology self-esteem. This is not self-esteem psychology. If you really felt that you were damaged, if you really believed that, then you would understand that the two men choosing, choosing your friend had really good insight and the people who rejected you had really good insight, if you really believed that. But you see, you're angry about it because you don't believe that for a minute. So what did you write for pride? Um, I want a man treating me as a queen, kneeling on one knee and adoring me. <laughs> exactly. You see how that brought you right to your self-esteem. I am a queen deserving of this elegance of their walking into the room and dropping to their knees, gasping for breath in the radiance of your beauty. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's your self-esteem and that's why you're angry. Why can't they see what you see? Yes, exactly. Yeah. What's your, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. What's your fear? My fear is that um, I'm defective and there's something wrong with me because there I don't have that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Most women do. Most women what? M most women have partners or... Oh, I see. Yeah. Are married and I'm single. Yeah, so yeah right, right. I right. want to be a woman among women. Yes, yes. No, excellent, excellent. All right. And so, um, what about, oh, did you write, was that your ambition? I want to be uh, a woman well, among women? Well, that was in there somewhere. I kind of find it exactly. But what I wrote for ambition is um, I want to be love. I want the love attention and commitment from a man right and what's your fear yeah and what's your fear there's something wrong with me because i don't have it and you see there will be some consistency here so don't be worried about the redundancy yeah okay. exactly uh security what do you need and why validation from others yeah like other women think less of me because i uh. I'm single and I feel as if I need their validation by in order to be okay. To yeah. feel whole and complete and yeah. to be a woman among women yeah. and not be. Yeah. 
the minority. No, I, I don't. Uh, yes, I, I don't want to go too quickly into solutions, but uh, yeah. Dr. Berger and I do some workshops on code on, on um, emotional sobriety. And he talks about he's a clinical psychologist, uh, PhD clinical psychologist. And he talks about keeping our center of gravity deep inside ourselves, and never putting our center of gravity into people or circumstances. Mm -hmm. See what you're doing is you're allowing, you're empowering the outside world to name you. You're asking them to name you. And of course, they'll be very willing to name you. <laughs> but it's all, I mean, why would you do that? We all do it, by the way, because we're conditioned to it from a young age. But the whole point of maturity is that I take my center of gravity deep inside myself. My anchor of reality, of my reality, is deep inside myself, never in circumstances or people. Mm. I hope that helps. Go to personal relations. Um, I expect me to have a man loving, adoring me, and tending to me in my life. Yeah, in your fear. I, I, I won't, I'm not okay as a single woman in this life. Yeah, it's, it's going to become a theme now. That's right. Oh, exactly. yeah. what about your, what's your belief about a real man? Wait till you hear this. I'm a bit embarrassed. But, um, <laughs> That's good, actually. <laughs> okay. It's that, um, that a man should take care of his woman. Yeah. Your old time religion, right? <laughs> well, I come from Catholic Ireland. Yes, you um, do. Uh, it's easy to hear that. Okay. <laughs> but and, I'm not there now. I, I ran away, basically. Right. And what's your fear? Um, I didn't actually do that. I couldn't figure that out because it was just well, no, It's not about figuring it out. So read what you wrote for your model man and then put your hand on your heart or stomach and tell me what fear comes up when you say that. So a real model man should always take care of his woman. Is maybe the fear is that, um, do I understand men? There's no right or wrong answer. There's okay. only your fear. Fear is a feeling. It's not a reason. It's a feeling. And it could have been, I'm not a real woman. I won't be seen as a real woman. Real men are, are dogs and they don't know what they're doing. I mean, there's so many answers that you could have come up with. But that was your answer. It's just fine. All right. Okay. I'm saying it for you as a teaching moment for everybody else. All right, so what about a real woman? I'll wait till you hear this. Yes. <laughs> so a woman is only accepted when she has a man to love her. There you go. And your fear is? That um, I, that again, I'm defective. There's something wrong with me because I don't have that. There it is. That's it. That's it. Okay. Ongoing. Pocket. Yeah, no, pocketbook. Um, nothing should interfere with or lessen my ability to be loved by a man. Yeah, and your fear? Is that I'm unlucky in love and effective as a woman. Yeah, yeah, all right. So 
you've written it out. Quite frankly, you're very clear. It's wonderfully clear. Um, and now you've talked it out. What's your general experience now with this work? My thinking is delusional, Herb. Yeah. In what way? Tell me about that. Um, because it's only one way of seeing things. And what, what's, um, what's, what's deficient in the way you look at reality for you, at just, just with this experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, in the big book, it talks about comparing my insides to other people's outsides. Yeah. And <clears throat> I have that, that is a theme in my life. And it's, it, it's a unhealthy way to view others and comparing them to myself especially in the romantic area that everywhere else seems to be okay yeah yeah um and this brings up envy one of the seven what was a deadly sin yeah, right. right of course yeah, yeah and envy is very painful for me yeah. because of this so it's almost like my delusional beliefs put me into pain and the sad thing is I just get caught up with it. This is not my first time doing a fourth step about the, around okay. it, but right. this is my most in-depth one, I have to say, this format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. To the extent that I feel defective, I'm going to signal to other people that I'm defective and they're not going to be attracted to me. And that's going to reinforce that I'm defective. But it begins with you. My so the antidote to low to this self-esteem problem is to have healthy self-esteem. And the question obvious is, well, how do I do that? By finishing this work, by finishing step nine. And I read a book on self-esteem in, in the psychological sense, and it said, if among many wonderful things, it said, if you want healthy self-esteem, take healthy actions. And I said, God, can it be that simple? And the answer is yes. It's not what we know. It's not what we feel. It is what we do. And when we do better, we know better and we feel better. And that's now science. Personal prayer. I wrote, uh, God, please help me to see the truth about my experience with this and the truth about this experience. Great. What's your um, resentment? Okay. Um, it's really hard to uh, read what you wrote. Yeah. Okay. When I resented um, Vanessa for accusing me of uh, targeting her or accusing me of being, for lack of a better word, racist. All right. Did it hurt, blah, blah, hurt that and interfere with my self-esteem? Um, I am loving, certainly not racist, fun, a good coworker, um, compassionate and inclusive. And your fear is? I have a hard time with this column. I wrote that, that I'm dark, that maybe I'm racist. 
maybe I like don't see. That's what I mean. Like I don't see that. I'm I, I get it. You're exploring it. You heard it. So you're going to explore it. You're not going to reject it out of hand, which is quite frankly, very open-minded. And uh, I would say that is the uh, a litmus test for uh, spiritual authenticity is that you're open. Oh, I hear it from other people. I want to, I want to explore it. Now it may be true and it may not be true, but I'm willing to explore it. No, I, I think that's fine. All right. So go to pride then. Okay. Others should see VP uh, treating me as someone who would never behave that way ever towards another human being. And then I wrote baby kisser. Then I moved on. I don't like know, I, what does that mean? Like I like I just love everybody. Like I'm okay, a loving got person. It, got it. Got it. Got it. Yes. I'm I'm a fair-minded person. That's how yeah. you want and what's your fear when you say that? That um that others believe that the same thing that she does. That others All right. That. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer. Fear is just a feeling. It's not a fact. It's just a feeling that you have based on your perceptions and your interpretation of your perceptions. It's biochemical, all right? There's no right or wrong. You get a chance to evaluate it because it's a survival mechanism. No, I'm saying that for you and everybody else, okay? Yeah. yeah, go to ambition. What do you want? This really riles me up, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I mean, it's a resentment. It's a good yeah. one. Mm -hmm. What I want is equality and in all ways. And I, and I, I want, not more for one race or the other. And I want to know that I'm not seeing it one way because of who I am or what race I am. I want it to be right. And I want to know what right. I, I want to be fair and objective. And your fear is? My fear is that, well, now I'm thinking my fear is that I'm not fair and objective, but I have what I wrote down. And it's certainly another fear is that I'm just guilty for being who I am, for how, for how I was born, for what, for what my race, for what my whatever that, that I am guilty by default and I need to accept that. That's how it is. All right. All right. I mean, it's a, it's a feeling. Good. All right. Um, security. Um, security. I need to be able to have the heart that I have to know that my intentions are pure and to know that I am in, and that I am enough that, that is enough, basically, knowing that my yep. intentions are pure. Right. Your fear? My fear that, that that's not enough for others. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, personal relations. Um, family, friends, colleagues should always take me at my word if they can't innately see my heart. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, all right. And your fear is? That, that I won't be seen for who I am. Yeah. And see, and one of the key words there was you said should. All right. And so that's a belief. And then you have to surface it and say, is it realistic or is it naive? Well, it's in the question, should. Yes. Okay. Got it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, how about gender relations? So the person handing down my sentence was a man. Is that kind of how I look at it or? You look at it any way you want. I mean, I, I explored both male and female in every resentment, even though there was no okay. uh, person of one gender or one gender 
the other gender. But okay. I wanted to kind of like see if in fact it was done by a woman or done by a man, would I have a different reaction to it? Got it. Um, so I looked at it a little differently, but I think the result is probably close enough. The ideal man should always be fair, impartial, a impartial, able to see the truth and to, to see my heart. And your fear when you say that? That my heart is not visible. Oh, all right. Sure. All right. See, there's, it could take so many different uh, avenues. So that's the one you took. How about women? Um, the ideal woman should always be strong enough to understand the difference between a, uh, that's not even the right way to say it, to understand, uh, to not take things personally, does not take things, that's what I wrote, does not take things personally. All right. Um, Your fear when you say that? My fear was that I'll be betrayed. I'll be victimized. All right. Yeah, there's no Wait, right or wrong answer. I cringe because you, the context of the resentment to use the word victim, I get, I don't, it doesn't feel good to, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? It feels like yeah, I, I do. My, my spontaneous internal to me when you said that, I, I, I thought and expected that you would say, I take everything personally as a fear. Um, no, just explore it. Yeah. <laughs> um, pocketbook. <clears throat> pocketbook. No one should do anything that interferes with, affects, or diminishes my, um, my safety at work, my beliefs about myself and about people, um, especially when they're pure, my relationship with my boss. Yeah. Yeah. And your fear is? I'll never be safe. All right. So as you wrote it out, as you listened to my presentation and my discussion with other people, and now you wrote it out and now you read it out, what's your overall experience with this for yourself? I might have to sit with it, to be very honest, because I'm, not, I'm right. not sure yet. Now, the, the keys are... The answers to all of the questions are revealing what your beliefs are, or at least if done in a healthy way, will reveal your beliefs. And when you put the beliefs up to be looked at, are they accurate, objective, and the truth, or are they warped, your beliefs? Are they realistic? Are they naive? Well, I see some from column A and some from column B. Exactly. And here's the, and I'm so glad that you're, you were having this conversation because you did one. My recommendation to people is to do five to 10 on five or 10 different people and circumstances so that you can then get a sense of if there's a recurring pattern or theme. My sense is, and my experience is that there will be a recurring pattern and theme that will then emerge so that you're not just looking at the one and the one person, you're looking at different people and different circumstances and you will see there is, there's a recurring theme. And why would that be, do you think? 
Because I'm at the center of all my dysfunction. That's exactly it. All right. Thank you. When I resent essay, um, and I just wrote for abandoning me because I sought outside help for a family trauma issue. Right. Um, did it hurt, threaten, or interfere with my self-esteem? Um, and I wrote, what is my deep belief about who I am? Um, I'm working really hard as a sponsee, and I believe I'm a superior sponsee and the best sponsee she ever had. All right. Yeah. And your fear is? When you say that? That I'm actually not healing and recovering and she saw something that I didn't see. There you go. And pride? Um, pride. How do I want other people to see me treated? I wrote, um, I want others to see SA treating me as the perfect sponsee and her favorite, like she once told me I was. <laughs> I also want her to heal my mother wound. All right. And your fear is? Um, I will be abandoned by her like I was my mother if I don't align with her view of what I need to do to recover. All right. And ambition? Um, what do I want to happen? I want, <laughs> so childish, but I want Essay to apologize to me for not having empathy and for leaving me when I really needed her um, at the time. And your fear? Again, I keep writing this, um, that it's all my fault and I'm missing something in this picture. Yep, yep. There, there will be a redundancy because uh, there's, yep, it's just fine. Uh, number four, uh, security. What do you need and why? Um, I need SA to see my pain because I'll be invisible and disappear if she doesn't. And your fear? Um, I'm worthless and deserve to be invisible. All right. Personal relations? Um, I wrote, I, I just wrote, I expect sponsors to guide sponsees um, with, um, with unconditional love and without conditions on the relationship. Yeah. And have a healing power. I'm hearing it. Yeah. Are you hearing that? Yes. You have this expectation, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. right. All right. And your fear? <laughs> to be honest, looking at it through my lens, that I'm not always that way as a sponsor. All right. There's no right or wrong answer. So it can take any form and, and, and don't filter it because okay. it's illogical or it's uncivilized or it, it goes against society's norms. Do not ever filter. You can do okay. that later on, but put down what you're feeling, what you're seeing, what you're aware of. That's really important. Okay. Yeah. I wrote in parentheses, I feel like a hypocrite because I think I do the same sometimes and put conditions on things. All right. And what about your beliefs about gender, male and female? So I didn't know how it applied to this, but I did write something. So I just wrote in general, um, that um, a real I ideal model man should be strong, open, protective, kind, and loving. And your fear is? Um, that no man like that would ever show up for someone like me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, women? Women, a real model woman should be um, forgiving, kind, patient, motherly, gentle, understanding. And your fear is? Again, um, my mom abandoned me when I was young. So it keeps coming back to that theme of um, I don't deserve um, a female figure like that in my life. There you go. All right. And um, pocketbook. 
Um, nothing should interfere with my ability to get well and get the help I feel I need. Um, and nothing should interfere with my ability to be seen, heard, and understood. And your fear is? Um, I just, again, I just, I'm not worth that. And well, I'm also- I won't be seen or understood because in fact, I'm invisible and effective. Right. Yeah, I know you're very uh, consistent. And so, but now you're giving me the opportunity of telling everybody else, as I'm telling you, that this is only half of the work. This right. is column three. This is looking at your beliefs. And then we'll cross over in a minute here to column four and uh, we'll take another look at it. The other half of the work, what you've revealed, I'll glibly say, and in a short circuit unfair way in the sense that it needs a lot more explanation, but column three is about the lie. Column three is about the delusion. My beliefs are, are, are distorted. My beliefs, the lenses through which I look are distorted. So I never see reality, mine or anybody else, as it truly is. I'm always seeing it in an unhealthy way. So uh, column three is about the lie. I'm, I'm being black and white. Never, nothing's ever black and white, even that statement. But <laughs> uh, column three is about the lie. And column four is about the truth. So it's the yin and the yang, and I call it the turnaround. This is where I live in column three, and that's why I have suffering. And when I do the analysis of column four, it shows me what reality looks like, and I can choose to live in that and reduce my suffering. I see. Yeah, I'm worried about the column four because I did do a column four, but I'm wondering if maybe I need to do a deeper dig, and that's why the resentment prayers aren't working on oh, this. Maybe, maybe we'll... Hold on that and, yeah. and do a column four on this work as you're doing it, and then come back um, before we finish our time together, whenever that is, and, and let's do a column four together so that we can, I can comment on that. That'd be great. Thank you so much, Herb. I appreciate it. I mentioned in my opening comments part of my history that I did this work in 1988 and I had an experience with column four. We haven't looked at column four yet. I had no experience with column three at that time. Three years later, I had the experience that I just uh, gave a very short, almost unfair review of and description of and dialogue about. But you got a feel for it. You got a sense of it. It opens you up to seeing more about how you see yourself and other people, what your beliefs are. In 1988, that first time I had 85 resentments. In 1991, three years later, I had 85 resentments. The same ones, nothing had changed. Then after I finished column three, this way in 1991, this man, gave me the instructions on page 66 and 67. I'm not going to take the time to go through and unpack the page and a half there. You can go to my recordings on my website and hear a good 30 to 45 minute unpacking of this, as well as my experience and my understanding of this material. But essentially, Bill says, pause now after you've done column three. He said, when we were finished, we considered it carefully, all right? Pause and, and, and pray and meditate about it. He says, 
we continue to wrong others. We continue to stay sore. He talks about deep resentment. And then he says, we need to be rid of this deep resentment for when harboring such feelings, we'll shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. That's where I get that metaphor. The sunlight of the spirit deep down inside of us is referred to many times in the big book. I believe it's the heart of steps two and three. And the step four is to look at the clouds, those obstacles that are impediments to that sunlight. He goes down through uh, many comments on page 66 to this comment I'm about to make. We could not wish these deep resentments away any more than alcohol. That's a critical statement. I'm going to read it again and then comment on it. We could not wish them away, these deep resentments, any more than alcohol. Oh, I'm as powerless over my deep resentments as I am over my addiction. Having no choice, no power. I can name it. I can analyze it. I can talk about it. I can write about it. I just can't get rid of it, the deep ones. So he gives us a prayer practice. Number one, intention, we look at these people as sick people. We change our vocabulary, our attitude toward them. Oh, change my attitude. They're sick. I'm not going to take it personally. Page 67. They, like ourselves, are sick. Oh, change our attitude. I'm just like them. You heard somebody say, well, I did exactly what I'm accusing them of. Oh, my God, we're the same. See, we're changing our attitude. That's an attitude of humility. I'm not unique. I'm not better than. I'm not worse than. I'm just the same. I'm another ant on the log. Page 67. We ask God. Anytime the book suggests that we talk to God, it's, it's recommending a prayer. Bill is telling us we're powerless over this, and so we're going to pray. Because we want intervention of a power. We ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. So many people misinterpret that. Please hear it. This is not a prayer for them. Hello, hello. This is not a prayer for them, the people that we resent. Listen to the words. We ask God to help us. Oh. I'm asking the spirit, the healing spirit, the divine surgeon to enter into my soul and surgically cut out this cancer of this deep resentment from me. Oh, if you want to pray for them, that's fine. It's in one of the stories in the back of the book. It's a wonderful spiritual practice, but that's not this practice. This practice is a prayer for me to be healed from this deep resentment. This is a sick person. How can I be helpful to this person? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. He goes on to say, we cannot be helpful to all people. God will show me how to be kind and tolerant of each and every person. 
I've added that to the prayer. The prayer is on page in the Way of Life document on page 24. I'm not going to go over it again to spend the time, but here's the outcome. I had eight deep resentments. This time, 1991, my dad, my mother, my wife, four bosses and a coach. I had had only four bosses, but all of them didn't treat me like I wanted to be treated. Go figure. And I prayed this prayer, the one in the way of life document, essentially. One prayer for each, the removal of each of those deep resentments every day. And I did it for three months on my knees. That was the suggestion of my step guide. He said, we get on our knees not to get God's attention, but to get our own attention, an act of humility, an act of subordination, an act of supplication. I heard that, and I did that. I haven't been on my knees in 30 years, but I was at that time. It's not a posture that I is helpful to me. One of my teachers in the meditation practice talked about being comfortable. being comfortable when you're in prayer and meditation so that you're not being concerned about inconvenience or the body. But anyway, I prayed for the removal of this deep resentment and I prayed eight prayers because I had eight deep resentments. And after three months of daily prayer, eight prayers every day for three months, I knew that one of them had been removed because there was no negative valence here. And I crossed it off. And over the next weeks, the balance of them melted away, seven prayers, six prayers, five prayers, um, like spring snow, all right? A wonderful visual image. Now, here's the really good news. Three years later, I did step four again, and I didn't have any one of those resentments. None of the 85 and none of the eight deep resentments were on my list. In fact, I was so clean that I called the man back after a week of meditation on step four. And I said, I have no resentments. He said, well, sure, of course, you've done some wonderful work. You've absorbed the 10th step and you're uh, regularly in prayer meditation and transparent relationship with a sponsor. Yes, of course, you have no resentments. Try a couple words. Who annoys you? Who irritates you? Well, right on the telephone, I got 10 names. So it wasn't the white shark anymore. It was the mosquitoes. But the mosquitoes were irritating me and disturbing me and dis disturbing my relationship or telling me that there was something disturbed about my relationship with spirit. But the real good news is that none of the prior resentments nor of the deep resentments were in my life at the time. See, that's the freedom that is promised. I want to move on now to the fourth column. Now, I call it the fourth column. The big book doesn't because it doesn't even refer to columns. But since I see on page 65, three columns represented for the first three instructions, I take a look at page 67 and I see the final instruction in the second full paragraph, 
referring to our list again. Well, what list is that? Oh, that's the third column list. Putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. So I'm not, I'm looking at it from a totally different angle. I've, I've turned from looking at who did what to me and what they did and how it impacted me to, all right, what did I bring to the party? Putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. And he gives us five questions. Notice that all five questions are about self-centeredness. Where had I been selfish? Where had I been dishonest? Where had I been self-seeking? Where had I been frightened? We tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where am I to blame? That fifth question is the most important question. The inventory is ours, not the other person's. When we listed our, when we saw our faults, we listed them black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Now you hear in the rooms and maybe even from sponsors, what's your part? That, that word is, those words are not in the big book. It doesn't ask you what your part is. My experience is that I don't have a part in my resentments. Column four, I do not have a part in my resentment. I do not have a part. I have the whole thing. A hundred percent. I don't have a part. I have a role. Whose resentment is it? Whose anger is it? Whose negative reaction is it? Whose emotion is it? Oh, that would be me, a hundred percent. It's coming from me, a hundred percent. Going back to that comment or conversation that we had on emotional sobriety, circumstances and people cannot make me angry. They just happen. It's my reaction that creates my unhappiness. My reaction is my problem. Circumstances and people are never my problem. It's my reaction to circumstances and people. That's a spiritual awakening. And that was my first back in 1988. I was able to see these instructions and apply them very carefully because the man had shared me with, shared with me his experience. And so over time, I developed the column four worksheet, which is page 25 in the way of life document. You remember Bob, he's the guy that tried to get me fired. So I go down onto the worksheet and, and, and some of the words are not in the big book like it was in the column three. It's an interpretation over time, both in terms of other people's knowledge and experience with unpacking this in a healthy way and my own experience in, unhealth, in, in unpacking it in a helpful way. So coming out of column three, I have a belief about my role. It's my perceived role. You see it in a box there. What's my perceived role? And the man had me do something that was incredibly helpful. Bill likes the theater analogy or whatever that is. So he said, put yourself on a stage with Bob. And uh, the script writer's on the side and he wants to give a name to your part, your role in this play that you're in where you have this resentment toward Bob because he wants to get you fired. Well, what, 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 is, what would the script writer write one or two or three words 
in the in the uh, in the margin of the script. Would it be a misunderstood person? I give some examples there on the worksheet. Betrayed spouse, abused child. Well, what's the what's the capture of the moment here? The the role that this person is playing in this drama of life. Well, I really thought I was a misunderstood employee, a misunderstood man. Is the event true or false? I found when I answered that question, which was given to me in the material on pages 66 and 67 about deep resentment, Bill says, fancied or real. So is it, a, is it the truth or is it a lie? Did it actually happen? Is it a true event or is it something I made up out of my imagination? No, it, it actually was happening. In fact, at the end of December of 1988, coincidentally, I finished my ninth step, but I also resigned from that job. Now, I wasn't being a hero in resigning. I got out in front of the posse, of course. But eventually it turned my, it, well, within a couple of months, I was secure in another uh, employer that I spent the next 20 years with. So it actually turned out wonderfully well. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So then I ask these five questions, but then there are other questions that have accumulated over time through the workshop, which have helped make this fourth column work very powerful. The five questions from the big book are self-seeking, selfish, dishonest, afraid, where am I wrong, at fault, to blame. I don't like any of those words from 1939. So I choose a word from the 20th century. Where am I responsible? I think it's a much better word for us today without any negative connotation. Self-seeking I define as behavior in contrast to selfish, which is about thought. It's not subtle. It's a huge distinction. One is about behavior. How do my feet move? The other selfish is about my thinking and my motives underneath. Conscious or unconscious. Self-seeking my behavior, I manipulated my bosses. I delegated inappropriately to my subordinates and I ignored my coworkers. Selfish, thinking about myself. I was the center of reality and I was only concerned with my power and my prestige and my money. Dishonest, misrepresenting yourself. I had not prepared myself for the promotion. I was absolutely not qualified for the role. I was a good salesman. That doesn't make me a good manager. And none of this did I see prior to uh, doing this work. Fortunately, it was correlated with the actual events in my life at that time, 1988. I wasn't looking back at my relationship with my father, which had gone over 30 or 40 years and he was already dead 12 years. That's a unpacking for a different day. I'm trying to make this as dynamic and relevant and current and succinct as possible for us today. Afraid, fear of not getting what I, I was afraid of, not only not getting the promotion, but of actually losing my job. Where was I responsible for my resentment? 
Well, as long as I can blame Bob for his attitude toward me, I don't have to take a look at my history of 17 years of drinking in that job and four years of sobriety without changing. Oh, I was sober for four years, but I had not changed until I was doing this work. But of course, it was simultaneously with my history, my history and my past catching up to me. I was 100% responsible not only for my um, anger toward Bob, but for his attitude, I had created the, the reputation of being a Neanderthal. And I'll use that as a large term to encompass all of that narcissistic behavior that went with alcohol at the same time for 17 years and then just on its own for the four years. I had not changed. Why would their attitude toward me about my history change? I wrote in the harms uh, that I had done to both Bob and the collateral damage to managers, coworkers, and subordinates, because in step eight, I knew from having done that, in retrospect, that it says, we make a list of the people harmed, we did so when we took inventory. So I included in the inventory as a parking spot, not a place to elaborate, but a, a parking spot to come back to when, in fact, we get to step eight. Six is about the person with whom I have the resentment I'm working on, but seven is about the other people, the collateral damage. But I always say in my workshops that we will skip over six and seven in terms of our conversation, but you've already noted it's a parking spot to come back to if it is, in fact, there's a possible, a potential for harm done directly or indirectly uh, that you'll come back to in step eight. But we go then to item number eight. What is the fear? Any additional fears? It's sort of a safety net. Since we're preparing to do a fear inventory next, we've looked at fear in the third column. In fact, there's a fear question next to each one of those seven variables in the third column as I've structured it based on my interpretation of the big book. And then there are two questions here the primary fear in question number four, and perhaps the catch-all for any additional fears uh, that come up. Oh, I have a fear of public humiliation. I have a fear of looking bad. I have a fear of failure. I have a fear of tall, aggressive, smart men. I have a fear of really good-looking and articulate women. And this was uh, 1998 that I'm doing this, seeing this, because that was the actual consciousness I had at the time, which helped then have grist for the mill when I did the fear inventory later on, I was able to do a spontaneous dump of fears, then go to column three and then go to column four to see if there was any additional components that needed to be taking a look at. More about that next month when we talk about fear and sex and dishonesty and secrets and guilt and shame, as I mentioned. 
I found that adding the question concerning number nine for the same reason I asked, I added the questions for harm done um, uh, and the fear was very productive. Looking at my at least initial uh, understanding of or intuition of awareness of uh, character defects was very important for me then to see the lenses through which I was looking at my life and it allowed me to even more um, powerfully take responsibility for my, my behavior when I saw my character defects. And some of them are, have already been talked about, my narcissism, my inconsideration, my insensitivity, my grandiosity, my delusional behavior, uh, <clears throat> my dishonesty with everybody about who I am and what my motives were and another, I mean, several characteristics. Number 10, why do I hold on to this resentment? What benefit or value does it have? For instance, you can see intuitively pretty much the reason I had it at the time, 1988, when I'm dealing with this man who's trying to get me fired, but my dad's dead for 12 years at this point. Why am I still holding a resentment toward him? What's the benefit? And lots of people say, oh, you know what? There's, I see it's dysfunction. There's no real benefit. Okay, but that's not correct. If I have a resentment, there's a value to it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it. Resentment is suffering. Resentment is deleterious to my emotional life, my spiritual life. And actually, the science is pretty conclusive. It's detrimental to my physical life, heart attacks, cancer, depression, strokes, come from resentment, held, anger, held, rage, held, and not treated. Why do I hold on to what's the benefit or value? And many people see that as long as I'm blaming other people, I'm a victim. As long as I'm blaming other people, I'm not responsible. As long as I'm blaming other people, I don't have to take any action. I don't have to look at myself. And that was clearly my, my situation there. So at the top, I saw my perceived role as the misunderstood employee, at the very least, misunderstood employee, mistreated star. I was the mistreated star of the company. Well, I mean, I think it doesn't take much imagination to see where I'm at now after answering all these questions. What's my real role? What's my realization? What's, I call it the turnaround. <clears throat> I'm not a Renaissance man. I'm a delusional man. I'm a Neanderthal. I'm totally self-centered, manipulative and dishonest. Those thoughts had never occurred to me four years sober until I did this work. And I began to take full 100% responsibility for my perceptions, for my thinking, for my feeling, and for my behavior. That was the key. I finally grew up. I finally became a mature adult. I had gone through this rite of passage. I was beginning to, let me not just say it was conclusive. No, 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 no. It was the beginning of the development of some responsibility, which didn't really have any maturation until I finished my ninth step. 
it was at the end of my ninth step. I did all of the steps that year from February through December. <clears throat> I finished my ninth step. And um, only after I finished did I stop for a little bit looking back over my shoulder in retrospect to see that I had been changed. We alluded to that earlier, that spiritual awakening a change in the way we think and feel and behave. And it's done to us, not by us. It's done to us, not by us. Ah, but not without us. I added that about three years ago, but not without us. It's a partnership. It's a collaboration. It's a coordination. It's a cooperation. It's a co-creation. All of those words. I love the word co-create. Willingness and grace. My willingness to take action. God's grace to even give me the willingness, let alone to take the action. I can't resolve the conundrum that that presents, which comes first, willingness or grace. I took it into meditation. I was given a poem. It didn't resolve the question, which comes first, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. The egg produces the chicken, but the chicken produces the egg. <clears throat> uh, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that. But the poem was, I was taken to a place of willingness. Hear the, hear the grace. I was taken to a place of willingness. Ah, but I was willing to be taken. Hear my willingness, my cooperation. And the man who took me through the steps that, that time in 1988, when I said, I'm willing, but I don't have time, when he was asking me for accountability for my actions, and he said, Herb, willingness without action is fantasy. Oh, what a hard ass he was. But it's exactly what I needed. I needed a four by four across the brow. Willingness without action is fantasy. Well, it's a play on the words from the scripture that was one of the central themes of the Oxford group from the letter um, in the, the Christian scripture, uh, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Faith meaning a belief in God without the action to go with it. That's what cracked me open several years later concerning my agnosticism, which I referred to a little bit earlier. So let's see what you've done with that as we perhaps some of you have the worksheet, some of you don't. I hope you're listening to it and making notes and doing the best that you can. When I resent Mary. Mary's been a lot of hits today. <laughs> for, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was sorry. For criticizing, oh, my dog. Okay. For criticizing, bullying, intimidating, Inhibiting, inhibiting, disrupting, and distracting me when we play music together. All right. Um, my self-esteem. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. My self-esteem is uh, my deep belief about who I am is that. Well, I said that I'm not good enough. You know, I. I what did know. you read? What did you write in Pride, yeah. please? Uh, I said um, that I'm not like. Pride, I said, I said I'm a great singer and musician. Um, you you Wendy want to be seen as a great that, singer and musician. Yeah. That, All yeah. right. 
and, and your fear in the pride call in the pride area she'll embarrass me or she'll disrespect me yeah so go back to the um well the first one is actually it's the opposite i think you know i'm a codependent so i might be opposite like so i my self-esteem my deep belief is is that i'm not good enough but that my fear is that or the opposite of that would be that I'm actually a good musician and I'm a nice person and I'm nice to play with, but I don't see that enough. I think, it's the re I think if you reverse those two, you'd have it. Okay. So in your fear, read I am. I am not good enough. No, not, no. Not likable. Uh, yeah, yes, that's correct. All right. Yeah. And, uh, but take the fear that you wrote and, and read it as I am. I am a very good musician. I'm a nice person and I'm nice to play with. There you <laughs> go. I, and, I, and, then, and, then, and then put what you've had as self-esteem, put that in your fear. That I'm not good enough, that I'm not likable, that I'm not lovable. That would that be- I'm not, I'm not a good enough musician. You reverse those and you'll, uh, you, that's in the spirit of the, and you know it, you've got it intuitively yeah. right. Okay, so now move over to the fourth column. What's your perceived role? Um, Abused, disrespected bandmate. <laughs> All right. I, I like the term bully that you used before. Bully well, bandmate. Yeah. Bullied. Yeah. Well, that's the truth. I, uh, yeah. Uh, and is, is that true? Yeah. It's, accurate, yeah. Isn't it? it's yeah. accurate and it does actually happen. And it's not, you know, it's going to happen no matter what work I do here. That's just the way. Well, you're not going to change her, but you're going to change perhaps your reaction to her. I hope so. Yeah. Well, there's, let's see what happens. Um, okay. uh, number one, selfish. What are your, what's your be, uh, self-seeking? What's your behavior? Number one. I, well, I think I said I pout. I get angry. I yep. want to fight. I want to fire her from the band, which, yep. you know, it's my living room zoom. I could do that at any time, but I, just, but yep. I, um, but I want to do it without telling her why, I guess. I just, you know, of course. I, I tried the confrontation. It's just, it's whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you very could. difficult. She, we're very different people. Doesn't matter. Of course you are. But anyway, the, this is your behavior. Yeah, right? that's my behavior. I yeah, think, I, 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 I pout and I, I confront and I have these feelings that I should fire her, but I don't yeah. because well, I really her. I withdraw. That's just, this that's, is like the biggest problem because, you know, you can't be a good musician if you're being all closed off and afraid and yeah. and you know it's just it's really that's a behavior that's right all right Inhib inhibits me i feel inhibited and, and number two yeah your what is your unhealthy thinking that creates this resentment well i said self-absorbed and also victim um thinking yeah. about myself self-absorbed yeah. victim and um my sense is passive aggressive Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number yeah, three. Dishonest. Yeah, no, She's active aggressive. I'm passive aggressive. Dishonest. Um, I said I am a good musician and I don't need her approval. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I, but, but I think I, t let's see, I can't read my writing. Where are you dishonest? Telling myself I'm not telling myself I'm not good enough. I fear her re reaction if I speak up. Um, Where are you dishonest? I mean, well, isn't it that that uh, that she's more powerful than she is? Like I'm giving her more power. Well, that's I'm, you're, those are your words. Okay, all right. But one yeah. of the things I'm seeing is you won't confront her. 
Yeah, I mean, I did. Honestly, I did. Well, wait, why is she still but, there? Because we it, we resolved it and she was nice. No, you obviously nice didn't. Well, she was nice for two times and then she's gone back to the way she was. All right, and then, I, then, all right I'm, I, I'm not here to solve the problem. Yeah. I'm here to have you confront your anger about it. Yeah. Your anger is you won't do anything about it that's permanent. Well, I have to. I think I have to. Well, I don't know what you have to do. You could become kind and tolerant, but that's an option too. Number four. No, but I have been. You don't. I mean, I really have been. Like, why does she get to me so much? No, I, have, I don't I'm know. A very nice person. Wait, wait. It's your button. It's yeah. your button. Why? Yeah. Why do you have a button? It's a rhetorical question. I'm asking you to ask yourself. Yeah. Why do I have a button that's exposed in this way? Yeah. All right. Number four, fear. Um, I didn't actually answer. I mean, I, I said the fear. I fear. Uh, well, tell me what. I'm not getting what I want or when I have the resentment. What's your fear? Right now, what's your feeling of fear? Uh. I guess that'll screw it up because you know when when we just play and we don't talk, like it's a really good situation. But, right. but right. there's that. But I also and I hate that I that I can't get along with somebody. But honestly, right. it's difficult. It, right. it's I, difficult. I have a fear that I'm incompetent and not able to resolve this situation. Yeah, yeah. Right. Number five. Or that. I, or can I just say one more thing? Of that course. I uh, that I just am a doormat, and it's like somebody else would have just nicely said, you know, we can be, let's be friends, but we shouldn't play together. But I just keep taking abuse and I keep uh, put stuffing it down and stuffing sure. down my feelings and then sure. I feel resentment. There yeah, of course. Yeah, good. No, that's a wonderful insight. Yeah. That, that wasn't a throwaway line. That's a great insight on your part. Mm -hmm. All right. I would imagine what we do any one place, we do every place. Well, not as much since I've had you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice compliment. Thank you so much. You're growing. Of course, you're changing. It's true. Yeah. Number five, your role okay. and responsibility in holding this resentment. Well, I said I don't have core self-esteem. That's core self-esteem that you were talking about, Dr. Berger, right. describing. Right. That sounds great, actually. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I don't, I won't stand uh, up for myself. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That is it. That is it. That is it. Well, you said it in terms of the doormat. Yeah. Yep. That's it. So skip six and seven and go to eight. Are there any additional fears? Um, no, I didn't. I think I got All right. Number nine, character defects. Um, as long as I'm a victim that I, oh, that, I guess that goes with the number 10. So uh, num number nine, I don't stand up for myself enough. I don't take care of myself. I then I came to, well, maybe I have a fear of being successful. Okay. All you right. Because the the business and the pocketbook stuff was about the professional right. musician All right. part. All right. And One. then that I don't pay attention to my own musicianship. I should just, if I would just focus this much, much energy on practicing, <laughs> I, would just, I wouldn't have to be afraid that I wasn't good. I'd just be good. I mean, you know, I think okay. I'm good. All right. So there's a passivity here. It's like distracting. It's so distracting to just being able to just live my my own life. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, no. I, it's an obsession. And that obsession is like an addiction. I mean, I totally the codependent thing. All right. Any other that. character defects? Um, 
Well, that's all I listed. So. All right. No, that's fine. That's great because it's a parking spot for your future meditation and prayer when you're doing six step. Right. So it's, it's not, we're not doing anything with it other than naming it to realize it. It was when I saw, started to see my character defects, it was like, it really explained a lot of the suffering in my life, in my relationships with other people. I thought, oh my God, I'm not a Renaissance man. I'm a Neanderthal. And that had such meaning. I mean, it's cute to say, and it's powerful to say, but it's horrible to experience the contrast between my delusion and the reality. Yeah. Because it was so embarrassing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Number 10, the benefit yeah. or value for holding this resentment. Well, I said it um, as long as I'm a victim, then it, it keeps me from, uh, it keeps me hiding instead of yeah. looking at myself. That is so perfect. Hiding. All of the passivity we talked about in the doormat stuff, that's all hiding. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, and one, oh, real quick. So, so my delusional thinking is projecting onto her that she thinks I'm not good. When the truth is, who knows what she thinks? I mean, she probably doesn't actually think that. Who cares what she, she thinks? thinks. I am. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you care what she thinks? <laughs> because I can't like myself enough. I can't like, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't possible. just, those, those I can't are, just those take what I have. Yep. Don't, don't, get too glib, don't get too glib with the psychology. Really try to see, well, what's, what's real here? What's real here? All right. What am I defending? That's a great word. What am yeah. I defending? Now, I think you had an insight there in terms of uh, fear of success. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yes. I think oh that's a God. wonderful insight. That's a whole nother. And that's a new. It thing is. From today. It is. Yeah. It is. A, yeah. And so at the top, you said, I'm a bullied musician. What's yeah. the truth at the bottom? I don't stand up for myself. Um, at the very least. At the very least. I don't yeah. embrace my love of my musicianship and my... Yeah. I, I bully myself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, I do. That's right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I love the turnaround. And I use that term, but uh, Byron Katie... Uh, came to my attention after I had done all a lot of this work by some people who said, after a workshop, they said, oh, you must have been trained by Byron Katie. And I said, I don't even know who she is. You haven't read her book, Loving, Loving What Is? And I said, I've never heard of her. And so they gave me the book and I read it. She doesn't come from religion. She doesn't come from psychology. She doesn't come from 12 step. She comes from her own experience of insight to her own life. She had a complete bottoming out and, and then a resurrection. And she wrote this book, Loving What Is, and it's about a, what she called a turnaround from the delusion to seeing the truth. And she's got a, her own method of several questions that she asks for you, for us, each of us, the readers, to come to a turnaround like we're doing here. And so I call this the turnaround from the third column, which is, I've been bullied to the fourth column. And in your case, it was very crisp. Oh, I'm the bully. Wow. I'm not a victim. I'm the perpetrator. So one quick question. Could that bullying be partly inviting someone into my house that sometimes 
like really abusive? Is that? Yeah, sure. You need help in bullying yourself. <laughs> yeah, let's let's have yeah. a team effort. Yeah. Some, I wonder. Anyway, thank you so much. The resentment, column three, or call, excuse me. Yeah, column three. Um, when I resent the Catholic Church for their position on LGBT, and I don't feel welcome. All right. And who are you? Self-esteem. I am not, no longer worthy or welcome, and I don't. No, it's never welcome. negative. It's never negative. Oh, okay. All right. That's just more of your resentment. So okay. I am worthy. Just scratch the not word and see what happens. Gotcha. Read I it without am, the negativity. Okay. I am worthy mm -hmm. and welcome. There you go. I am worthy of being welcomed. I am worthy of being welcomed. Okay. Yes, there it is. Of course. And what's your fear when you say that? Uh, my fear when I say that is that it's not true. Exactly. It's really that, it's not complicated. That's great. What did you write for pride? Um, How do you want others to see you being treated by the Catholic Church if they were going to do it correctly? Right. Others should see me, the Catholic Church treating me and my children as important and valued members. Wonderful. And your fear when you say that? My fear when I say this is my kids will never be accepted. Yeah. And then they won't have a place to go when they need, when they are in crisis. Exactly. Wonderful. Look at the truth is really setting you free here. It's cracking you open. That's right. Now cross over to the fourth column. And what's your perceived role? Um, my perceived role. Okay. Um, when feeling this resentment, I believe that I am less than in the eyes of others. Yeah. And the church. Right. Yeah, others in the church. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm a rejected person. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And when you feel rejected today, how do you behave, number one? What did you write? Uh, which number is that one? Number one, please. Number one under self-esteem. Um, no, number one in column four. I am on col column four. It says number one, self-esteem acting. On no, my it doesn't. Own. It says self-seeking. Oh, oh so, was, yeah, you're right. Okay, which one? So, I know my form. <laughs> maybe I have the old form or something. No, no, no. It says self-seeking. Go ahead and okay. read what you self wrote. Self-seeking. Number, number one. I stay away from mass. Oh, Where? I join in criticizing right. and complaining when yeah. someone else starts. Nice. Good. Excellent. Excellent. I stay away and I criticize and I complain. Yeah, that's your behavior. Number two. What's your unhealthy thinking? I don't think I belong. I can't be important or take on any important events or part be part of the mass anymore. Yeah, all right, all right, yeah. I allow them to dictate my behavior. Do you hear yourself? 
Yeah. Yeah, nobody's preventing you from being a member and an active member of the Catholic Church except yourself. But it. No, no, no buts. Sorry. They, I can't, know. they can't prevent you from going to Mass. I they know can't. they can't. They absolutely can't. This is my right. And this is. No, no, wait, 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 wait. No, no. You, you can. Let's not get into that. This is your responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Not to let others uh, determine who you are and what you do. I think that the piece that um, I'm missing in sharing this right now is that it's it's about my children. Well, they're up to it's up to them to what they want to do. Not it's not up to you. I know it's it's. Wait I'm, wait wait wait. Let's 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 be clear. How old are your children? They're adults. They're in their. Uh, so they're not children. Hello hello hello. Wait, 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 wait. They're not children. They're adults. And so what's your issue? My issue is that I fear that if I stand, if I participate, which I want to, that they will think I'm turning against them because they're the one, they're the ones who are gay. I'm not, I'm not oh, gay. Oh, so, so, gay. Oh, so you're they're letting your children. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I understand there's an emotion here, but you're bogged down in emotion. I am. I know. Right? All right. I've been trying so to get rid of this. You're, you're allowing your children. No, you're allowing your children to dictate your behavior. And they're adults, but you're acting like a four-year-old. Okay. Yeah, I know. Hard stuff. So where are you being dishonest? Number three, what did you write? Number three on uh, column four, dishonesty. Um, I've not really been a very good practicing Catholic for many years, and I use this as an excuse. There you go. All right. Number four, what's your fear? My belonging to the Catholic Church has always been on again, off again. All right, but I don't see fear in that. Yeah, there's, I, I need to redo that one, yeah. Your fear is from of a disapproval of your children. Yes. And I don't want them to believe. Who cares what they think? Why do you, why do you care? I want them to know that I love and care? accept them. Wait, why do you care? Because I love and accept them, and I want them to know that. Well, they do if you're lovely if you're loving and accepting and and kind but if i'm practicing and oh, hanging so it, up with it's yours wait 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 you're so full of your emotion you can't see through you're a puppet on their strings and you've you've tied the strings they will love you for who you are not for the who you're not i I get that, and and I no, actually, you don't. Well, I get it in the sense that I have worked on this one. I mean, I have like I used to have like multiple specific things, and I've gotten down to two that are still here. All right, so give me what is your answer to number five, please? Where am I wrong or at fault? Okay, that one. Yes, please. Number I stopped. Five. I just stopped going to church. And I didn't reach out for years. Yeah, talked about. No, that's not that's not underneath the resentment. The underneath the resentment is that I am I give too much power to my children. 
I don't get that. I get that. Oh, you don't? No. How could you not get it in this conversation? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm dense. No, you're not dense. I know. No, that's not true at all. You've done a very clear and good job all the way up till now. And you're telling me that you don't go to church because your children will be embarrassed because the church holds a stand and they have a different way of life. And, and, and what does that have to do with you? It has nothing to do with you. Okay, can I back up and say... No, you, you can't explain it. Or, no, or no, I, don't want to explain, I don't want to explain it. All right, so tell me what you want to say. If I hang out, I mean, this is a little different, but if I hang out with racist, other people will believe that I am a racist. Oh. If I hang out with people who are against the LGBT community, people will believe that that's who well, I am. Why do you care what people believe? I don't know. Well, that's the question here. You're allowing something outside of you to determine inside of you. So just think about it. Again, yeah. it's rhetorical. So what did you write in terms of uh, additional fears, number eight? Number eight. Uh, oh, this one's really hard. Yeah. I fear that I don't understand and that I might be ashamed of my children. All right. Now we're getting underneath it. Yep. All right. Number nine character defects. Um, anger, guilt, shame, judgmental, and pride. Yeah, and don't overlook codependency here. You have a tremendous streak of codependency relying on institutions and people and groups to determine how you behave. Right. Yeah. So number 10, what's the benefit or, or value to you of holding this resentment toward the church? And I wrote, I wrote there, not sure. Well, the, the, okay, excellent. That's a valid in here, in this. So what's your, what's your perceived role at the top? Um, perceived role at the top is the Catholic Church is not welcoming to LGBT families. All right. And what's the truth at the bottom? Um, I am welcome, but my children are not. You don't know that. You don't even know that. And in fact, it's probably not true. It's true with some of my family. Well, no, no, I don't mean your family. I'm talking about the attitude of the church. The, the attitude of the church today is probably much broader than that. I don't know that, right. Right. But, uh, but it would depend on the different parishes and the different churches. But right. be that as it may, the turnaround is, I have this thought about the church, and really it's about my own, my own conclusion about the church, which I have no idea. It's about my children and not about me. And uh, by, oh, by the way, I'm kind of embarrassed about my children. And that's what I don't want to have to face. That was a great insight on your part. You know, I'm not embarrassed by them, but I fear that I 
that I haven't accepted them the way I say I have accepted them. You don't have to explain it, but yeah. you, you need to embrace what's the truth here and how do you want to live? What's the truth and how do you want to live? And it probably you need help in sorting that out because you're really tied into the emotions of it. And there's a lot of real stuff here. This is this is real life. So I'm not I don't want to be glib about it and say this is really simple. No, no, this is not. But right. you need you need a wisdom sounding board to help you navigate this so that you have the life that you want. I have been trying to work on this yeah. for probably 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And it's gotten down to why do I want to stay in the Catholic Church? I mean, it's not my place. Well, I, 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 I think I, I don't think you want to, especially in this conversation, come to any conclusion. Right. My, right. my sense is you don't really know what you want. You don't really know what you believe. You're, you're very tangled up in the emotions and all of the influences from other people. And stay in prayer and meditation, but talk to a wisdom person about all of this as you navigate it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you're, you're very clear and you're very close to freedom, but you're still tangled in a, a bit of a quicksand. I agree. And it, yeah, it's finding that, you know, somebody, it's hard to, it's not about finding anybody else. It's about finding yourself. Finding myself, finding the right person to talk to this about. Yes, I agree with who, that. Who isn't going to, they have to understand how much it's a part of my identity. They, they don't have to understand anything. You're looking again outside for healing on the inside. They don't have to understand anything. You have to understand and take full responsibility for what it is you want, how you want to think, how you want to feel, and how you want to behave, regardless of anything outside of yourself. Whew, that's a huge chore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I've come a long way, so you I'm have. on the you back have. of the case, right, talking about this, but all right. Thank I trust you. the process, so. Thanks. And and rightly so. Thank you so much for your courage and your vulnerability in having this conversation because you were really open to having a very dynamic, real, authentic conversation about it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. All right. It was diminished all right. because I feel like all of those um, all right. diminished so me when in you some feel way. Diminished, by your yeah. what what is your um self-esteem i am this being challenged okay uh so i i am a smart talented you know i i am an ivy league talented um capable successful businesswoman and wife all right and your fear is that i'm just not enough that yeah. that i mean on all those things Got it. Got it. Yeah. And pride. My pride um, is that my husband should treat me like my father did. That 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 he should reassure me that I can do anything, and and that would play out as uh, 
as, as him um, promoting me, um, adoring me very publicly yeah. um, and, and respecting, you know, what, what I, what I have to say, exactly. What's um, fear? Excuse, my fear, my fear is that uh, they will see my husband disrespect me and do the same because yeah. I'm not worthy. Yeah. All right. Excellent. And now cross over to the fourth column. Okay. What's your perceived role? My perceived role, um, I, I believe I am the diminished woman. Right. Not just wife and, you know, but the diminished right. woman. So we can combine them. I'm a diminished woman and wife. Yep. Yep. All right. And when you feel that way, how do you behave? Number one. Well, and this is where I'm so not proud of myself. <laughs> I, I, I keep that that mask of being the perfect wife. Mm -hmm. And I just absorb it all. I'm quiet. I never call him out on it. Um, you know, examples include when we're with, with friends at a dinner or in even private conversation. If I can't, when I comment on something political, business, I mean, we both have MBAs from the same school. He doesn't even acknowledge that I've said something. Yeah. And and I would just let it pass. Yeah, I pretend say, to be perfect. I pretend to be perfect. As and, a and woman I, and as a wife. Yes. I think yes. that's wonderful. That's a great insight. Go to number two. Um, what is the underneath the, the, the unhealthy thinking here? Number two. Under yeah, yeah. I'm, I, 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 the hardest part for me are, well, are two and three on, on, on this. I can get in. Uh, so uh, selfish thinking about myself. I, I, I wrote, I, I was all about my hurt, my insecurities. I spent time feeling sorry for myself. Oh, okay. Self-pity. Yes. Pity party. For a word. Yeah. Excuse me. How's, How's that, that for a word? word? Yeah. 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 That captures. Right. All right. It does. Right. I stay passive and in self pity. Okay. Yes. All right. And number three, where are you dishonest? Um, I never told him I felt disrespected or diminished. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I, communicate. Yeah. I don't yeah. communicate. No, no. I expect him to intuitively respond to me because I'm such a radiant woman and wife. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. My dad got it. Well, no, but My men, dad... men are numbskulls, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of them, so I know. <laughs> I, I, I know what you mean by that. Told, they do need to be told. All right. All and right. He, would, he would say to me from time to time, he would say, think of me as a really good, like, puppy or, you know, dog. Like, wait, just, I just want, I want to please, I want to do the right thing, but I don't know. Like I'm there. I just, I and don't know. So also you, you don't respond to what he asked you to do. Um, I trip over myself. Well, I guess I didn't, I didn't, I guess you're right. Didn't even get that. Yeah. Even when you said it, I didn't get that. No, yeah, you didn't, right. but you did. But, but you know, as you pause for just a minute, it sung through. Yeah. yeah, yeah there you go. Did. All right. I, 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 I didn't because we're going to get to number four. 
I was afraid. I was oh. afraid I would lose my security of a partner in life. Um, if, if I, if I, yep. if, yeah, if, if I complained. No, no, if, if you I were went, real, if you were real. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because you yeah. said it back in the third column, I'm not enough, I'm not yeah. worthy. Underneath, 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 you've got to hide out so that he yeah. doesn't discover and throw you away. Exactly, and throw meanwhile, me away. And meanwhile, he throws you away because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. He diminishes yeah. you because yeah. you're not you're not you. You're not present. Yeah. You all right? So <laughs> this is good. Uh -huh. Number five. What did you write in terms of the benefit or value? Uh, no, no, there's some, uh, then my comp is this my contribution to the original event? Please, number five. Uh, yeah, I did not speak up. I, I did not say my truth, so he would know I was ex what I was really experiencing in our relationship. Now, my current reaction to person or event is is I find relief by speaking my truth and facing the fear of how he will react to my truth. The the, oh, the whole that, life on life change. That's a solution, but that's not an answer to the number five. Oh, number five okay. is what is the unhealthy thinking that keeps you having uh, resentment toward your husband for being a diminished person? What's the, um, what's the, the, the hun I, 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 I do expect him to know, um, um, I'm living in my own fears and insecurity. I mean, and, then and you know what? Post-menopause, like anxiety and fear just elevated to the surface. I, I don't, I mean, I joined, I joined um, uh, OA at, at, you know, at age like 55. I, I didn't have these issues early on. I didn't, but clearly they're here. So, um, Am I answering where, where am no, you're, I you're dancing around the pole? Um, What's, I'm, what is the role and responsibility in having this resentment? Um, I'm struggling a little bit. Your um, resentment is towards your husband who diminishes you as a person. Yeah. Well, my role that, is that I'm. And you wait, 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 let me read my notes. Number okay, one, okay. I pretend to be perfect. Number right. two, I swim in self-pity, passive self-pity. Number three, I don't tell him what I think or feel or want. Four, I'm not sure I, I, I'm not sure what I wrote there. Uh, oh, that I'll lose security and a, and a, and a, and a partner. Yeah. Well, what's, the, what's the truth here in five? I hide. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It's so, so simple to me. I hide. Okay. Yeah, I hide. I and you revealed it before in column three. I'm not enough and I'm not worthy. And God forbid he should discover who I really am. Yeah. So I don't talk to him. Let him think yeah. what he does. And he does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So skip six and seven. Number eight, any additional fears? Uh, fear of being abandoned. Yeah, yeah, not enough. Oh, fear of being weak. All right, all right. Fear of no right or wrong answer. No right or wrong answer. Those are all. However, those are all correlatives, cor correlations of everything we've just talked about. Number right. nine, character defects. Uh, anxious attacher, insecure, self-centered, um, passive. The self-centered part. I'm one of those people who 
a little bit of a pleaser, want to be perfect. And I really thought I was the most generous, giving, loving person in the world. They thought I was always thinking of other people, yeah. never understood in this, till this program that it was all about me. Yeah, yeah. But the key character defect, I think you said, was passive. Yeah, yeah. I hide. I'm embarrassed. I hide. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so what's the benefit, number 10, and the value of your holding this resentment? Um, I don't, I, I don't have to face my fears in life. I can stay hiding. I can stay hiding. Yeah. 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 I hide from myself and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, COVID in a weird sort of way wasn't hard for me. No, I was hiding out. There you go. Number So at the top of column four, you said, I'm a diminished person and wife, a diminished woman and wife. And wife, yes. What's the truth? What's your realization at the bottom? Um, that, uh, yeah, that I dumped my insecurities at his feet and expected him to make me whole. Yeah. I had no right I am the diminishing person because I am not stepping up to the plate for myself. Bam. Bullseye. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. What's your experience with writing it out and now talking it out? Um, huge, huge. I mean, I always get an epiphany and I always, and I always think that I know more than I know starting in, I, I right. assume because I, I think I'm a smart person. Yes, but yeah. but 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 it's not until I work through this process that, yeah. that I can see. And yeah. then when I see it, it seems obvious. Yes. But I can't do it without this. I, I don't know how other people do. They don't. Yeah. No, yeah. they don't. That's why I do this work. Because I yeah. didn't. With yeah. all my education and all my intelligence and all my effort, I was right. clueless yeah. until I began doing this work. And then slowly it began to unpack. And I, you said it. I was embarrassed. Not, yeah. not yeah. at who I was, truly. Mm -hmm. I was embarrassed that I never saw it. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Herb. Thank you. Great work. Really good. Thank you Thank so you. much. Yeah. In column three, I wrote, when I resent my mother for hurting me by minimizing my feelings, denying what I was saying or blaming me. So what's your self-esteem? Well, at first I, I had written, I am hurt, damaged, broken. But then based on what you feedback you gave to other people, I changed it to my delusion or my fantasy is that I am perfect and I never dramatize or, and I never take the victim role. All right. All right. It's not quite, but um, go to pride and tell me what you wrote there. How do you want other people to see you on a stage with your mother? How do you want other people to see your mother treating you in the ideal world? What would be your desire for, Yours having other people see your mother treating you. The way I'd like her to treat me today. Okay, go with that. 
that she listens to me, believes me, and accepts what I say is true. Because who are you? I am. No, you don't have to look at anything. Answer from your heart. I want her to do all those things because I am. I am honest and what I'm saying is valid. I'm truthful. I'm credible. I'm smart. I'm informed. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm worthy of her respect as a daughter. And in fact, she's really lucky to have me as a daughter. Yeah. Well, I'm pushing it a little, and I know you, no, did, you didn't. No, really it's yeah. I mean, I could, you know, I, it could all bring up tears. Yeah, Good. that's okay. I want her to believe me. Yeah, I, I want. I wanted her to believe me. You want her to hold you with respect and love and tenderness. Yes, and what's your fear? Well, what I wrote was my fear is I'm defective that I'm broken fundamentally broken or inadequate right and and that's why these people bullied me and that's why even she can't do anything to make a change so right right i'm gonna it, keep getting bullied again i'm gonna use the term i hope people hear it and apply it it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yes exactly so cross and go to the fourth column now the uh -huh. fourth column what did you write at the top as your perceived role that I was um, mistreated, either abused by the shame or neglected by her not believing me as Great. a child. Great. Mistreated yeah. child. And, and as an adult. Well, uh, you, you brought it yourself into the present. Yeah, yeah. She still minimizes the, the reality well, that I said. Does. Of course, she, yes. That's the role you've trained her to. Mm-hmm. I know. So now I don't know. I don't know if I've trained her to. I think her childhood had something to do to do with that. Okay, you can believe anything you want. <laughs> and um, so let's go with um, number one. What did you write in terms of when you feel this feeling of being minimized and blamed? How do you behave? So on self-seeking, I wrote. Currently, I'm blaming and judging my mother. All right, that's a that's a behavior. Yes. All right. Growing up, I had her on a pedestal. Yeah, let's not, always yeah, let's not go there because we're dealing with you right now. Number okay. two, what is the unhealthy thinking underneath that? The, this black and white thinking, thinking that when I was growing up, she was perfect and I was broken and to blame. And then today, think at today, thinking she is to be blamed or is all bad. And and I'm, you know, guiltless. And I, it's, I just, I see how it's black and white thinking. Well, um, maybe, but um, what's the unhealthy thought in you today for blaming your mother today for minimizing and blaming you? That she should be perfect. That she should have heard me when I said, help, I'm being bullied. And she should have responded appropriately. Right. So as soon as you term you use the term should, you're revealing some aspect of your belief about reality. Um, and so is that is that a realistic appraisal of your mother and of yourself? No, it's not. All right. You're being unhealthy, mostly because you um, 
are putting onto your mother something about responsibility for who you are today. But let's go to number three in dishonest. What did you write there? Um, I was deluding myself that my mother was perfect and shouldn't make any mistakes. All right. Yeah. So unrealistic. I'm not seeing reality for what it is. My mother's a human being. She made mistakes and she currently makes mistakes. And I hold her to a standard that I don't even hold myself to. Well, I'd, I'd probably hold both of us to a pretty high standard. <laughs> well, but okay. So, all right. All right. Let's go with that. Of course, one of my teachers says what we do any one place, we do every place. Yeah. You spot it. You got it. I'm, I have high standards of myself. But and is it realistic? Her. Is it realistic? No, it's unrealistic. It's naive. It's fantasy. Nobody's perfect. Yes, we have standards. Yes, we have ideals. Yes, we have visions. And we hope to be better. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, all right. Number four, fear. Um, well, this was interesting. When I thought about it, I wrote down fear that she doesn't have all the answers. Right. Um, well, there were two fears. One is fear that I'll have to change too and learn to trust myself versus look to others for validation and rely on others. That's not just about my mom. That's about people in general. So, so fear that I'll have to change and learn to trust myself. Yeah, no, that's fabulous insight. Yeah. And the other one was maybe fear that she doesn't have all the answers and again, I'll have to think for myself and take chances and learn to trust myself. That's, that's huge. That's very huge. Yeah, that's wonderful. Number five, what is your role and responsibility today? Not, not yesterday, today in holding this resentment about your mother today? Number five. Oh, I missed that question. Number, so not the where am I wrong, but what is my responsibility? That's the term I like to use, yes. Okay, what is my responsibility? My responsibility today is I need to let her off the hook. Wait, wait, wait. We're not solving the problem. We're asking okay. about your role and responsibility in holding this resentment. You have developed a resentment towards your mother, which you hold. All right. What's underneath yes. that? What's underneath that? Your role in creating that resentment. That, that I'm the helpless victim and that although I know she didn't do it on purpose, she was one of the perpetrators. She, I mean, she didn't bully me. But. So I'm, I'm blaming her for who I am. Yeah. It's that simple. I'm blaming her for who I am. Yeah. And as you said earlier, so I don't have to take responsibility. So skip six and seven and go to eight. Any additional fears? Um, well, I said this one already. Fear that I'll have to learn to trust myself or believe in myself. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Absolutely. Number nine, character defects. Selfish. Again, that black and white thinking that either mom is all good or all bad. And of course, in by extension, I'm all bad or 
all good. All right. Um, anything else? Um, not that I wrote, but I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> well, how about unrealistic and irresponsible? I am not taking responsibility for myself as an adult. I'm acting like a child. Blaming want, her for who I am today. Yeah, I want, and I want her to fix me. So that was, I hadn't considered that, that I'm blaming her for who I am today. And that is, I mean, obviously it's childish when, when you give me the words, it's clear that that's childish. Um, but that that's irresponsible. I hadn't thought of that. Meaning I'm not taking response. It's not a negative comment or a judgmental comment. It's an, hopefully it's an observation of, oh, that means I'm not taking responsibility for being an adult grown woman for my life, as you already indicated in many of your comments. In okay. fact, you said, I, 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 I don't want to change uh, I need to trust myself and change. Yeah. All right. So number 10, what's the benefit or value? We've kind of covered it, but did you write anything for number 10? Um, I'd have to see the gray again, that kind of middle zone that mom isn't perfect and, and, and I'm not inadequate. I'd have to grow up and learn to trust myself and accept my imperfection my mother's imperfection and my lack of control that sometimes shitty things happen and sometimes shitty things happen. Like you get bullied. Yeah. And it's nobody's fault. It's not her fault. And it's not my fault. I, I well, without yes, yes. And sort of, we could have conversations about it. Um, Victor Frankl was a, a psychiatrist in the World War II era. Oh, you're familiar with uh, Search for Meaning. Yeah, got it. And he, bottom line in, in the book, it's a wonderful classic. He said, I cannot control the weather. I cannot control anything outside of me. I can't even control me. What do I have influence over? Just my, my attitude. attitude. About everything. All right. And, and that's where you take responsibility. I have an attitude of, I, I'm an adult woman. I'm responsible. Nobody's coming. Yeah. It's a fabulous comment. There was a sign over a psychologist's office here in our area. Nobody's coming. Yeah. And then uh, taking that, I, I wrote in the next slide, I'm the one I'm waiting for. Mm. Oh my God. Yes. That's exactly right. Oh my. Yes. I'm the one I'm waiting for. At age 48, I finally began to wake up. It's my life. It's my thoughts. It's my feelings. It's my feet. It's my responsibility. It's pretty scary to think about that. I'm the one I'm waiting for. Well, it is when you don't think very much of yourself. And there's where this whole rebuilding, rebuilding, rehabilitating of our self-esteem. One of my teachers calls um, the uh, human nature, the core. He said he calls it the core of goodness. 
wow, what a great concept. Am I really a spark of the divine? Am I really created in the image and likeness? So many wonderful kind of things can come out of that. And, and not fairy tales and not, uh, not crystal aspirations and motivations. No, I'm not talking about new age anything. I'm talking about the power of having a positive attitude about who I am. Mm. Yeah. And then acting as if it's true, but not looking for validation from outside of me. Right. Huge. I learned, I learned from a, a fellow friend in 12 step. I said, I think I'm a validation slut. She said, you're a validation junkie. <laughs> I love both. I love both. It's great. It's great. And it's good to have a sense of humor about it, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you, Herb. You bet. When I resent SA, this is column three, um, for abandoning me because I sought outside help for a family trauma event. Right. What did it threaten? Self-esteem. I wrote, I'm working really hard to heal and I'm a perfect sponsee, a superior sponsee and her favorite as she once told me I was. Right. Um, and then the pride, others should see S.A. treating me as her favorite and the perfect sponsee that I believed I was. And I also wanted her to heal my mother wound. And your fear is? My fear is that if I don't do things uh, her way, and which is similar to when I was growing up with my mom, that I will be abandoned. Yeah. And that it's all my fault and I'm missing something. Somehow yeah. I'm missing something. Yeah, yeah, all right. So now you're gonna cross over to the fourth column. Okay. And what is your perceived role on the stage here with this drama? I wrote, um, unworthy of love and abandoned child. Um, your uh, resentment is about a sponsor. And your resentment is that, um, read your resentment again, please. Okay. When I resent essay for abandoning me for seeking outside help for a traumatic family event. Yeah, so... Um, Give me two or three words that describes it in terms of sponsor relationship. Um, that I'm feeling. Um, that's capturing the role. If you were a script writer trying to be a short circuit here, a shortcut to the writing the script, I don't want to write a paragraph about this role, but I do want the people to get what kind of costume she should have, what kind of words she should have, what kind of attitude and behavior she should have on the stage. What's the role? Perceived role. My perceived role. Yeah. Um, betrayed sponsee. Betrayed's too strong. She's, I thought so too. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, Definitely sponsee is a good term. Yeah. Okay. Um, Misunderstood sponsee? That's, that's kind of weak, but yeah, it's in that direction. It's in that direction. Um, it's like one's too strong, one's too weak. I yeah. need something in the middle. Oh, how about this one? I, I, I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm working with you. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, inappropriately judged sponsee. 
Does that, that, feel, that feels good. Yeah. Kind of close. It's kind of close. Let's go with that. Inappropriately. And the reason we're working so hard just for the people on the call is that it's really important to get it clear and, and, and specific so that when you answer the questions and then come to the turnaround, you can be clear and specific about the truth because the perceived role is the lie coming out of the third column. It's the delusion. You're not the inappropriately judged sponsee. Let's find out who you really are. Um, okay. So when you feel that feeling though today, let's assume that right now you're feeling this resentment as powerfully as you've ever felt it. Let's just assume that. It may not be quite true, but let's assume that you have that. How, how do you see yourself behaving today? Maybe not this moment, but within the last 24 or 48 hours, if you were to feel this feeling of resentment. When I'm feeling this resentment, I feel... No, I behave. Oh, I behave. Well, what did you write? Number Dishon one. Dishonestly, because I'm trying to straddle did the you write, Wait, 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 wait. Oh. Did you write anything for number yeah, one? Oh, yeah, I did. I, I, I'll I read want you to read what you wrote. When feeling this resentment, I believe I am unworthy of love when I don't do what others think is best for me. Uh, no, no, no. You're talking about feelings and perceptions. I okay. talked about behavior. How do your feet move? when you feel judged. Okay. God, this is so hard. No, it isn't, um, no, it isn't hard. Okay. No, no, it's about behavior. It's the easiest thing in the world. Observe yourself. Um, I become, I behave passively. All right. So I become passive. That's a behavior. I become passive. Yes. And I sometimes become um, emotional trying to be understood. And I become emotional, a great defense, right? I don't have to be clear. I can get dithered. Right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what? I feel like I almost did now. <laughs> oh, well, almost maybe. Uh, yeah. But number two, uh, so what? what's the unhealthy thinking underneath that? Um, so I'm selfish, right? Uh, that's the term here, but it's about thinking. How okay. are you thinking about yourself inappropriately in an unhealthy way when you feel the feeling of being inappropriately judged? Okay. Um, I, I, I'll just read you what I wrote. Um, Please. I'm looking to her to be a certain way so that I can think okay about myself. Yes, yes, I don't trust myself. Right. That's what I wrote down. I don't trust myself. 100%. I don't trust myself. That's an unhealthy thought. Yeah. Is, is, is that a thought that you see as unhealthy? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm just checking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. No, and I'm always questioning because I don't trust myself. I'm always looking to others to... Yeah. support my choices you know part of that is a wonderful growth pattern where you have a sounding board wisdom person yeah. who you just check yourself out with not because you're looking for validation but you are looking for confirmation that my thinking is objective right i'm not looking for approval i'm not looking for somebody to give me the answers but 
especially in early recovery, as I was discovering all of this, I really didn't trust my view of myself. Right. Yeah. So I needed a mirror to reflect back objective truth. But then you really need trustworthy wisdom people with experience. That's I'm really glad you said that only because like, I do think I'm not looking for objective feedback. I am at this stage in my recovery. I just realized when you said that I'm looking for approval and I'm looking for someone to make choices. I'm confident that's true. Although (laughs) we're going to talk about something in a minute here. Um, Number three, um, dishonest. So much. Um, So I fall into this passive aggressive victimhood where I over apologize while carrying a resentment. Um, And I also begin to fall into a lack of reality and fantasy where I begin telling myself it's all my fault and I'm worthless or it's all their fault and I resent them. Got it. There's no middle. It's, it's all or nothing black and white. All right. Number four of fear. Um, terrified of being abandoned, terrified that I've done something I don't realize is my fault. And that's why this person is no longer in my life, who was a huge part of my recovery for four years. So the key fear is abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number five, uh, your role and responsibility in holding this resentment. So when did this event happen, by the way? Um, in August. So six months ago, uh, actually, whatever, uh, uh, a yeah. while, many months ago, and you're yes. still holding the resentment. Correct. All right. All right. And um, if I'm understanding it correctly, you were seeking outside help for uh, re- resolution to some type of uh, personal problem. Yeah, there was a family incident, a violent event, and I... We don't need to know the, the yeah. story, but... Yeah. but I went your, for therapy. Your, your, your sponsor felt that there was something inappropriate about what you were doing? Um, self-indulgent, and that if I kept working the steps and taking on more sponsees, it would write itself. Okay, so I, I don't know the situation, and yeah. I'm not asking... But given the situation, I want a teaching moment for everybody who's on the line still. And that is, if I break my ankle, (laughs) I don't go to my sponsor. I go to an orthopedic person for an x-ray. Okay. All right? Okay. So on the surface of it, I'm going to judge your sponsor as being ignorant. Because if she holds that you can't go outside for professional help to deal with emotional, personal, and family problems, and she thinks that the spiritual idea and the steps are going to solve it, she's ignorant from my standpoint. She's so awesome and so many, I don't want to paint her as like, she's, she was- I don't care. Okay. I don't care about her. I'm, I'm, I care about people's perception here, and I'm taking your situation and I'm blowing it up into some black and white. To make sure that people understand there's a huge difference. One of the psychologists in San Francisco, Wellwood, has written a book on spirituality and therapy. And he coined the phrase spiritual bypass. Many people, many people go to the steps and or spirituality for the resolution of emotional and mental problems. 
it won't work. Okay. All right, because the steps are given us for a spiritual transformation and conversion, it will it will treat an awful lot of life's problems uh, because we will be into the flow of reality. But if I have a broken ankle, I go to a doctor. Okay. If I have a clinical clinical depression, I go to a psychiatrist. Now, if I have regular depression because of psychology or emotional and or life's circumstances, certainly COVID and all of the implications of that, it's possible that the steps will correct that. Okay. And again, you might need some fine tuning with a psychologist that can help you navigate family of origin issues. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. And and Bill in the big book was very clear. Go to doctors, go to psychiatrists, go to therapists, go to priests and ministers and rabbis, wherever the resources are. This is not a panacea. Right. Yeah. And we were getting into a big debate about that because I pointed to that part in the book. And yeah, I was trying. Yeah. Trying. So that, that so I'm not judging your sponsor, but I'm right. judging the potential of the situation just for a teaching moment's sake. All right. Right. Makes sense. So um, what did we decide in the answer to question number five? Um, Role and responsibility in creating this resentment? Yeah, so I wrote in, in then and now, for then. Just now, just now. Oh, okay. Um, my current reaction is still like, um, she has all this time and all this recovery and I don't understand how we had the most amazing relationship and it ended up like this because of this situation. Well, that's an interesting comment. It's just not an answer to the question. Okay. All right. So we're talking about a resentment that you have. Okay. That she judged you. Yeah. All right. And we're asking here, so what's your role in creating that feeling, that resentment? What's my role in creating that feeling? What are you defending? I think I'm going to say, I'm going to go out and just my need to be right. Oh, great. That's a really good answer. And it could be that it's true here, but I'm for other people, it's a, it's a great answer. Even if you don't believe it's true, try it on. It feels most everybody wants to be right rather than happy or, right. you know, whatever. Yeah. Or helpful. And wanting to be right is never the right answer. Never the right answer. Yeah. Being right is the right answer, but wanting to be right, that kind of, you know, I, 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 anyway, so without beating it up. So um, skip six and seven and go to number eight, um, additional fears. Um. I wrote that I have a serious problem with codependency. Okay. All right. All right. You said, I think you're early in recovery, right? Um, I have seven years, seven and a half. Oh, okay. I, I had you, uh, no, somebody, but, I mean, somebody else said six or seven months. Yeah. So no, seven years, you're not early, but, but it's at a time when you're thawing out sufficiently to take a look at that. Yeah. That's what my current sponsor said. It's yeah. on track. She said, are you, are you, um, the book I recommend is Melody Beattie's Codependent No More. 
I just finished reading it. Yeah, okay. Then my, you've got a real handle on at least the basics. Yeah, my current sponsor recommended that I read it and I definitely saw myself in it. Yeah, wonderful. All right. Um, number nine, character defects? Um, I put self-pity, people-pleasing, lack of trust, um, lack of taking responsibility for my life choices. Yeah, 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 all right. And number 10, what's the benefit or value for holding this resentment for these several months? Um, I put that essay as a placeholder for my mom work that I need to do and release, and I made her my higher power. And if I hold on to this resentment, I don't have to work on the codependency issues that the situation revealed to me. Yeah, and I can also hold real tightly to being right. Yeah. I think, I think that really does work. That answers several questions, actually. Yeah. yeah. And so at the top, you said, I'm a sponsee that's inappropriately judged. And what's the truth at the bottom? I'm, I'm someone who... Write? What did you write? I wrote, I'm someone who abandons myself and doesn't stand up for her choices. All right. All right. And who needs to work on her codependency. All right. All right. All right. I mean, it's not crisp, but it's, I think it's good. I mean, don't you think that's a healthy, a helpful kind of insight? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I was just wondering why I, cause I've been doing the prayer that you have the yeah every morning on my knees, you know. Yeah. And oh, you're, and you, you, you had made the comment that it's not going away. Shifting and it's been a while. It's, yeah. and the <laughs> other ones have fallen away and I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, I'll keep praying. Maybe well, it's- How long do you want to stay being right? <laughs> maybe that's it. Cause I didn't write that on the last worksheet. Yeah. So maybe that's really what it's about. Yeah, when you, when you let go of the resentment, you let go of the need to be right. Yeah. 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 And um, the guilt? There's well, like I, it could be. I mean, you can pray and speculate and talk about that. But um, was there any harm done to your sponsor as a result of your resentment? Did you see anything in eighth or ninth step? We're still on seven. I'm on step seven. Okay. With my sponsor. Um, okay. So in, in terms of step seven, uh, what are you doing here uh, with regard to the character defect of whatever you decided it was? Are you doing anything special with regard to step seven? Um, we have the, the worksheets that you did. So yeah. like, no, I, I meant what are you doing? You doing about a resentment, excuse me, about a character defect connected to this resentment and your, your sponsor? Are you doing anything at the, in step seven? I've been reading um, out of the 12 and 12, this, this chapter on step seven every day. Right. That was right. My approach was to pray specifically for the removal of a specific character defect. So you need yes. to name the character defect and then to talk to somebody and be accountable for both the prayer and the behavior that goes with that. Okay. It 
the behavior stopped within 24 hours. On my part, it was infidelity. That stopped within 24 hours behavior. The inclinations was two years before it stopped, the inclination. I didn't act on it, but I had I the inclination. But I prayed every day specifically for the removal. I talked to my step guide on a daily basis until the behavior changed. And then I talked on a weekly basis until the inclination changed. I see what so you're saying. It was the prayer and accountability that crushed it. So God, higher power removes the defect, but I do have agency over the behavior that stems from the defect. That's exactly the insight I had that I describe in steps six and seven. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I need to work on that. I'm, I'm a little passive with the behavior piece, I think. All right. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Thank you for everything, really. I hope it was helpful. It Thanks. really was. It's, it's I feel a shift already, so thank you. Thank you, wonderful. Well, it, it um, the hopefully the workshop helped you. It exceeded my expectations because you guys are really engaged. It was a wonderful, courageous, and vulnerable discussion with every one of you. Um, productive, at least from my standpoint, as a teaching experience, for the balance of the people who didn't participate except by being here and witnessing to it. I have recordings on my website and also on YouTube, as was mentioned, uh, concerning uh, the material on step four. Um, the recordings on my website, there's probably hours of work. Um, they were weekly workshops that were recorded and edited um, on the entire 12 step process but of course, there's in-depth evaluation, especially on that prayer for the removal of deep resentment. Um, I gave it kind of short shrift. You got a feel for it, but the in-depth unpacking and description of my knowledge and experience with it would be on the web, as well as some more examples of unpacking column three and column four, as we did with several individuals here. The way of life document. Uh, is a wonderful tool and some, most of you have some of the pages from it concerning what we were talking about on resentment, but there are similar pages that we'll distribute for the uh, balance of the inventory process, which I believe will be as, as useful. So uh, I think the serenity prayer would be sufficient for us to, what can I influence? Not very much. What can't I influence? Circumstances and people for sure. I really need wisdom. Knowledge of your will for me. The end of step 11. Knowledge of your will for me. And then I need the power. Knowledge isn't good enough. It's the good start. But I need the power. Please join me in that serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Thanks, everybody.